Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So there I was watching The Spirit Molecule as we proceed into, I think, is the most fascinating drug we've ever talked about. Um, and the one thing that really struck me about DMT is, and, you know, I I really don't get to sort of hippy-dippy airy-fairy on these things, um, but this felt like a very sacred uh, chemical, if you will. I mean, you talk about, you know, opening doors, whether that be in your mind or whether that be into other, you know, as Seth, when people say dimensions, what, what do you think they're talking about? You know, I'm, you know, oh, you're, you can go up or down through dimensions. That really has no scientific basis of anything, does it? Well, there's no scientific basis for a lot of what people say when it comes to DMT. But I think what people are talking about when they're discussing dimensions is that, unlike a lot of drugs, DMT seems to provide a freestanding reality. You separate from this one and enter a different one. And there's even this clear transition into that other dimension, whatever you want to call it. So it seems like you're somewhere else physically and mentally and for that reason, people describe all these different full worlds that they go into, and that's unique for psychedelics. I love the idea of of exploring a, a, a big part of the spirit molecule, DMT, the spirit molecule, this, uh, this show I watched. Um, a big part of that is is considering looking at the drug, you know, and I, I'm maybe even limiting to say drug experience with this particular drug. I mean, it, um, you know, the, the, the sort of conversation between are we going out and exploring sort of the universe around us through our inner journey on DMT or is this purely a, uh, internal biochemical experience and not to take anything away from either one but the idea of you know the brain being sort of this you know antenna or or receptive mechanism to other planes of existence or reality um it's amazing. Uh, th this this was the one drug when we were talking about it, or or when they were talking about it, that that really, you know, I see why they could call it the spirit molecule, right? I mean, it's uh, it's similar to other compounds. It's it's a tryptamine. Is that right, Seth? Yeah, it's a tryptamine. 
Tryptamine, right. So similar to psilocybin or even the more base molecule is, um, you know, similar to psilocybin, similar to uh, tryptophan, serotonin, serotonin right. Um, and, and sort of, you know, when I, when we talk about this today, Seth, it's, it's funny. I almost find myself having more of a reverence for this drug in terms of, it just felt sort of precious. Um, you know, I think it's certainly precious due to the fact that it's endogenous, which is immediately separating it from almost every other drug that we know of almost nothing that you take externally is also found in the body yet here are a couple compounds dmt being one of the main ones that has these massive effects and you can find it in humans that immediately makes it some sort of i don't know if you want to call that sacred or what you would describe that as but it is part of the human body for that reason it it makes sense that there's sort of a you know you said reverence for it it's it's a strange chemical in so many ways and the the experience that people have especially when it's with ayahuasca or, or some form that's lasting a little bit longer and isn't as intense it's almost always a religious or spiritual experience whereas mm. lsd may be 50 60 70 percent not religious or spiritual it could be totally different so there's so many aspects that make it a strange potentially sacred chemical yeah and to hear the speakers and users in that film uh this does not seem and now i i guess i guess of course it could be used recreationally it's important obviously to note that this is a schedule one drug um it is illegal you will you know have a really bad time if you are uh involved in any type of uh you know a procurement of this and and law enforcement is involved you are uh you're really you know up up some creek if if that's the case um but you know a lot of the individuals in that film including i guess Rick Straussman um, he, yeah. he was the lead guy on that and on the research, uh, into, into some of the earlier DMT studies. Um, but, um, you know, recreational use from the people, at least in that film, uh, was, was sort of shunned a bit. And the idea of this drug's importance to, self-exploration exploration of the universe as a whole uh and again you mentioned dmt the active ingredient in ayahuasca as well mm-hmm. um you know and and you'll talk us a bit through how that happens and all that but um but this this particular compound and again i don't mean to anthropomorphize it or or whatever but it it just felt uh, it feels very important, and I'm hoping today on the podcast that we can, or that I can, sort of do uh, honor that um, because uh, I mean it was amazing, dude. <laughs> like the, you watch these guys talk about DMT, and um, I don't know if I mean I guess have you, you ever heard of anyone having any bad trips on it? Oh, certainly. 
tons. Uh, There's a lot of paranoia and a lot of negative trips. So wow. that happens very often because it's so intense. It'd be hard for a drug that seems to take you for a trip around the universe in a period of 10 minutes to not be potentially terrifying. Yeah. So there's definitely some overall bad experiences. It's uh, So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about uh, DMT. And uh, before I, I butcher the, uh, the full uh, scientific name, uh, what does DMT stand for, Seth? Dimethyltryptamine or NND, dimethyltryptamine. Dimethyltryptamine. It's dimethyltryptamine today on the Addictive Podcast, and uh, I'm excited to talk about this one. I haven't actually shown really, you know, as much interest. Uh, the, you know, uh, certainly the ayahuasca thing, it being a, a related healing experience. I'm just fascinated by these ideas, uh, by the ideas of these healing substances. Um, you know, and 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 sort of not the traditional or not the typical recreational type of drug, but something that, you know, here this is a drug that seems to have, uh, you know, bring intense meaning and intense experience, and it, it's just amazing to think that this uh, this exists um, in our world and in our bodies. So, uh, without further ado, um, it's DMT on the Addictive Podcast. This is the Addictive Podcast with your host, licensed mental health and addiction counselor, Glenn Marshall. Information is crucial. Experience the reality of both legal and illegal drugs from the mouths of those who take them. From the functioning drug user to the recovering addict who nearly lost his life. Understand why certain chemicals do what they do for better and for worse. It's time to get hooked to the Addictive Podcast. Okay, and we're back talking about DMT. And Seth, you said that DMT is in the body already. Yeah. Um, where is it and what is it doing there? Well, we don't know exactly where it's coming from. There's a lot of speculation that's coming from the pineal gland. And one, there's some scientific evidence to suggest that's the case, but there's also a lot of people saying that because it's it'd be a spiritual thing because the pineal gland, for those of you who don't know, is generally considered the third eye. And then in other more primitive species, it's actually uh, more eye-like than it is for us because it's moved so far into the, the brain. So we don't know where it's coming from. It's been found in a bunch of tissue samples. It's been found in urine and blood. It's definitely in there where it's produced. We don't know, and we definitely don't know why it's in there. The fact that it's so similar to something like serotonin and the fact that it has all of these effects suggests that maybe in lower doses it has some use as a neurotransmitter. Now, if that's the case, who knows? And there's also some reason to believe it could have a physical effect by being uh, affecting the immune system. But 
that might not explain exactly why the body has it in there. Overall, we don't know. It's definitely found. Uh, it was mostly found originally in uh, schizophrenic patients and other people with mental disorders, but then it turns out it's basically in everybody. Hmm. So it's a right now we're we're in between periods of having knowledge about it where we know it's there, but we're still trying to figure out why. This is one of those drugs that has that um that I've heard about for a long time and and never a drug that that was, you know, would be tried. Um the way again, I'm you know to to sort of date myself. I remember, you know, maybe 20 years ago, uh maybe 15 years ago hearing about a drug and they would call it like the the businessman's trip. Um, the idea being that, I mean, you're talking about at least through smoking DMT and I guess DMT, uh, has to be prepared in a special way to, to be smoked essentially, uh, similar to, uh, like cocaine free base, how you're, you're sort of refining it. Is, is that the same with DMT? Well, yes. And generally you're getting it from uh, a plant source, you're generally extracting it. I mean, what people are buying is, is good to go, mm -hmm. just like with cocaine. But the I preparation, there, there is a, a similar preparation, but you also have this added part that a lot of people in other industries of, of recreational drugs wouldn't have to go through, which is extracting it from plants. And some users do that by themselves, but there's definitely a full process to go through. And... Um... Not to, I, I didn't want to kind of lose, lose my, uh, my thought on that. Um, but, uh, so, so when you say kind of people are getting, is this, is this, is this another sort of schedule one drug that is available if you kind of know where to, I mean, that's like the new way of drugs in a way is, I, I mean, people are able to, to sort of find these things online and get them that way is, is that, I mean, is that generally what's happening or, or is it still sort of the, you know, you're going to a shady drug dealer and, you know, he's got DMT. I mean, what's, can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Are you aware of that? I mean, uh, you know, in the, in the dark circles you see on the internet, is that, is that where the, the DMT guy hangs out or how does that, generally well, work dmt dmt is all over the internet and because really? it's an illegal drug it's going to be found on hidden markets which right. are the dark neck mar dark net markets like the ones you find um by using the tor browser right and it's all over there it's one of the most popular outside of lsd one of the most popular drugs in the psychedelic category on those markets so there's a lot of people buying it in the real world Normally, drug dealers are not going down for DMT, just simply due to the fact of what DMT does. It's not really recreational in the same way that marijuana or cocaine or heroin is recreational. Yeah. So it's, given it, that, it'll pop up in the real world in smaller circles, but if you're buying it just for yourself, it's pretty easy to do and probably easier to do it online 
than finding somebody near you. Yeah, it's funny when we talk about schedule one drugs, you know, you can you can almost make the argument. Actually, you probably can't make the argument without your argument being just decimated by anyone using logic. But you could probably if you're if you're uh you know in law enforcement you could you know you could say well look you know cocaine very addictive you know can be very difficult to quit um you know even you know even cannabis oh look someone struggles with cannabis we want to protect them from themselves let's make things illegal you know dmt i mean what are you what are you protecting somebody from i mean you're not it's it's not addictive or or i guess that like we talked about i mean anything can be addictive but um this is not a drug that lends itself well to repeated use it sounds like in terms of you know continuous use do you get the same rapid uh tolerance that you get with like lsd and other hallucinogenics with dmt well this is one of the most interesting things about dmt is that there's almost there's effectively no tolerance and that normally means you can use it multiple times a day, and you can use that in that way indefinitely. Now, there's some people that report sort of a variable tolerance where sometimes it won't work, and then other times it will. Hmm. But considering that's happening in such a random fashion, it doesn't seem like it's normal drug tolerance where the receptors uh, become fewer for a period of time or mm -hmm. they're less responsive to drugs. None of that seems to happen, so you can pretty much use it on a daily basis if you really wanted to. And that certainly separates it from LSD and psilocybin because like other psychedelics, those are generally the ones that build tolerance the fastest. If you used it on Monday, you really couldn't use it on Tuesday. It just wouldn't work. DMT, that's not the case. You, that, that's kind of what, well, when I was watching the film, and you know, it's one thing I, I noticed in the film is that a lot of the guys uh, and, and women who were participants in uh, Straussman study, they seem very, uh, you know, prepared. Uh, my, that's, I think that's going to be my word for hippie right now, but uh, <laughs> um they seem very, you know, open to the idea of a DMT experience or of a psychedelic experience. I always wonder, you know, how how does that fit with, you know, somebody else who who doesn't have that, you know, frame of or that set, I would say. Um, but they, they none of them seemed even though they had had uh, a few of them had had multiple ayahuasca experiences, I didn't get the feeling, though, that this was like a run out and, you know, have a little DMT and, and just sort of it, it didn't feel like the type of drug that would be worked into the life of someone with addiction. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't yeah. seem like you would be cruising around and like you would do some DMT and 15, you know, it seems intense and it, it, quite honestly exhausting. I mean, it seems like a very intensive uh, journey, whether that be into your own mind or, or into something else. Um, I, have well, you ever well, known, you known or heard of anyone becoming, uh, you know, quote unquote addicted to DMT? Well, I was going to say that it really, the way I look at DMT is it's sort of a drug that many people regard as being um, 
something that you do once. It's sort of an experience that you've got to have at least one time. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, you don't generally continue to use it because it doesn't lend itself to recreational use, but it also doesn't really lend itself to religious or spiritual use because you don't tend to get much from it due to not remembering the experience. It happens too fast. It's really? gone before you can wow. integrate anything. For all these reasons, it doesn't lend itself to regular use. However, there are some people, because it doesn't have a tolerance, that do use it on a daily or or at least weekly basis. And for them, I don't know if you could say they're addicted, but they're it's just a drug that works well for them. And they like using it instead of other substances or in conjunction with other substances. If that's addiction, I'm not sure. Um, I do think it's probably a negative thing to offload your spiritual beliefs or whatever that may be onto the drug and then using it as a way of constantly, you know, having a spiritual experience. But it's for the most part something that people use very rarely or only once. It's funny. I, you know, a word, and I know it's it's not directly, obviously related, but you know, it almost feels like, and in watching uh, the Spirit Molecule film, it almost feels like a. I I am sort of hesitant to use the word virtual, but if there was a drug that sort of produced something that would be close to like a completely like altered state, um. You know, I picture even, you know, next year uh, when we have Oculus Rift, somebody reproducing uh, the the DMT experience as close as at least they could in virtual reality, right? And being able yeah. to s sort of experience, oh, man, isn't that going to be a thing when you can actually pick up your Oculus and, you know, plug in uh, drug experience X, um, and, and actually, uh, that would actually be a good virtual reality app for, um, for even drunkenness, right? Using augmented reality and things like that, like Samsung VR or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this, this sort of, you know, alternative reality. I, I mean, and, and just to kind of get into some of these things, I mean, you know, some of the visuals that people are describing, um, you know, passing through, first of all, your your typical, you know, what sounds very, you know, serotonergic to me, sort of these bright, intensive, fractaling patterns of color and and then moving into figures and beings and and sort of archetypes. Um, and then beyond that, falling further into, uh, places of souls or places of angels or places of sort of this feeling of the God realm. And then, you know, looking around that space and seeing giant figures sort of with their hands into the world, you know, directing and nurturing. And I mean, holy shit. I mean, that is some seriously powerful, um, y you know, I mean, that's, that's mind blowing stuff, man. Yeah. You know, it certainly doesn't sound like, sound like something you would do at a party, which is the main thing that separates this and a few other substances from, LSD and things like that. It's not a normal psychedelic. And if you just call it a psychedelic, 
you don't really get the idea what DMT is truly wow. like because, like you said, these freestanding realities and being surrounded by souls or entities or whatever is going on, that's terrifying or interesting or whatever, but it's certainly not a normal psychedelic if we're calling LSD sort of the stereotypical psychedelic. So yeah. for that reason, it's 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 uh, something you really have to prepare for and know that you're undertaking something. You can't just do it on a whim. Yeah, LSD always, the times that I had taken it, it's funny, uh, I think it was like the first time, I, maybe second time I ever took it, I was scuba diving. I went scuba diving in the pool. <laughs> we were at a party and I went scuba diving in the pool on LSD. And, uh, you know, LSD and even mushrooms for myself was always about the altering of my existing reality, right? Yeah, not replacing your reality. Yes, right. So, so I'm, you know, it's funny because I try to think, whenever we have these talks, I try to get into sort of the drug head space of what these things feel like. And I can, I can reference the stimulatory effect of cocaine, right? Uh, I remember there'd be times of New Year's or prom or whatever, someone doing a little cocaine and you do a little bit and you're, uppity on that or i can reference pod and sort of feeling like sort of this mellowing out of the world on that and i can reference lsd and i can see those colors and i can see the walls breathing and i can i can uh i can you know see everyone's pupils dilated and and now and so i take all my drug experiences and then i go into the dmt realm or i try to visualize dmt and and i'm just lost um Oh no, I think the mower's back. Hopefully, uh, you can hear that now, right, Seth? <laughs> no, not at all. Good. Uh, let's hope he stays away. If there's any mowing, by the way, for the audience out there, the mower will, uh, will go away. And, um, he may just be cruising by the front lawn here for a moment. Uh, but we'll try to talk over that guy. Um, but anyway, so getting into the DMT experience. So, so, you know, again, and I and I am I'm not anywhere near as drug experience as I think some of the people I know and and who are out there. But oh gosh, this mower is just brutal. I'm so glad you can't hear it. But if you can, please forgive us. Um, so so as I as I get into the DMT space, the first thing I want to ask you, Seth, uh, and we'll go we'll talk about like dosing and things like that, uh, but. Are we talking about, am I conscious? Am I, am I sitting? Um, oh, you really can't hear that mower still, huh? No, not at all. Oh, so incredible. Um, okay. So, so am I, you know, I remember salvia. I remember feeling like really, like I had used the term anesthetized on that. Yeah. Um, what is, DMT. I mean, what what the hell is going on? Um, where, what, how, um, where do I fit this in my frame of drug reference for any kind of experience at all? Like, where where do I pull from on this? There's aspects of a lot of drugs included in the DMT experience. So you have the rapid onset and freestanding reality thing that comes along with salvia for example but then you have 
the visuals that come along with a lot of normal psychedelics like psilocybin and LSD. And then you have this sort of peak experience where you're definitely dissociated. So you could call it a dissociative, but I mean, it's controversial, I guess, to say that because it's, it's more a psychedelic, but there's definitely a point at which you're not even part of your body anymore. And for that reason, you can use everything from ketamine to salvia to LSD to try and figure out what this experience might be like, but none of them really come close. DMT is certainly unique in the same way that salvia is unique. So it's hard to compare any of these drugs to one another. Is, you know, and I've heard you use the term like a dissociative, like ketamine. And there's another class of drugs that I have, like, I don't think I have any experience on any kind of disassociative except for like going to the dentist, right? Um, or, or, or like Versed, uh, you know, there's a medicine called Versed, it's an IV and holy shit, dude, you are, uh, you want to talk about disassociation. It's like, a, it's actually a sedative hypnotic. I mean, you don't even, um, you don't even remember the thing about Versed. You, you don't remember anything. I mean, you, you just, that, that all goes away. Um, yeah. So, so you're, this idea, I mean, look at how amazing this is, right? This idea of being transported or, or perceiving whether you are, or you're not, you feel like you're not in your body. You feel like time and space well, has, yeah. Before we get further into the facts, it's important to note that just like with Salvia, most, uh, maybe, you know, the, the vast majority of people never really experience a full breakthrough. So they might not be fully dissociated with DMT. That's -hmm. certainly possible. And that'd be the peak experience and what a lot of people are looking for. But some people have this sub peak experience where it's way more psychedelic and they're still part of their body. They can close their eyes and sort of venture into these really visual, perhaps realities, but they're not completely away from themselves. So not everybody's going to experience this complete dissociation, but that is what you're sort of chasing after. And the administ- the route of administration taking place in, in the spirit molecule, I mean, they were doing, uh, so they're hooked up to IVs. So they're getting intravenous uh, DMT. That was, uh, that was my understanding of it, or at least that's what they were showing, right? That was all IV use. Yeah, in the studies that uh, Strassman did, it was all IV. Right. But so that is case. Yeah. But in this case, smoking is is really close to IV. They they pretty much line up with their timeline of effects. That's so. That's fascinating. So are generally are are people able to receive enough of a dose while smoking that would actually. Uh, have the the dmt experience for i i see i always picture intravenous lasting i i picture it hitting hard of course uh but 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 you but you still have this lasting um you know again you're five to 15 minutes you're still going to get a duration that's similar even though you didn't ingest as maybe as much as iv is that right yeah uh it's it's going to last for the same amount of time you can get the full effects just like with iv smoking and iv with dmt are very close to each other they're both going to start in well under a minute sometimes under 45 or 30 seconds 
and then the last for about five to ten minutes for the main effects and then have some lasting effects for about a half an hour after so they're they're practically identical for all intents and purposes but to get the dose controlled and whatnot in studies it makes sense to do iv and then we talk about you know, it's interesting to look at the different routes of administration on this drug, right? And then yeah. for something like, right, so so we're, we're usually talking, well, for this drug, we're talking about, uh, well, a couple things that are very interesting. Number one, if you eat it uh, without something, without a, uh, it's broken down by, right, I'm, I'm learning myself here, um, monoamine oxidase, right, which is right. a liver enzyme. Is that well, right? No, 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 it's all throughout the body. Okay, throughout the body, right. So, yeah. so monoamine oxidase, it, it, you know, touches the DMT and I guess breaks it down. Um, is that, is it, do you know what DMT is broken down to, Seth, when it's metabolized? Uh, there's a, there's a one or, there's a couple compounds that it gets broken down into before it's excreted. And with MAO, uh, it truly really just, it, like it sounds, it oxidizes the compound and, and renders it inactive. Um, unless you overload the system, like with a gram or more, then eating it's going to do nothing. That's, um, and then unless you're something like ayahuasca and you're combining it with a right. monoamine oxidase inhibitor. Um, what is the plant in ayahuasca that is combined? Um, what what is the what is the monoamine oxidase inhibitor that that is brewed in with um, with with ayahuasca to to uh, to allow it to affect uh, affect you orally? Do you know that? Yeah, the like we talked about in the ayahuasca podcast, and if you want to know about the oral use and more specifically ayahuasca, ayahuasca retreats and all that, listen to the previous podcast episode. But sort of a recap, what people do in South America is they combine a DMT-containing plant like Mimosa hostilis, uh, which is also called uh, Jurema, uh, with a plant that contains monoamine oxidase inhibitors uh, and that would mainly be uh, Banisteriopsis coffee. So this is a vine, and they just brew them together. And that allows you to get the DMT active orally and by inhibiting the enzyme. And this extends the experience, but it also changes the experience in a lot of ways. You don't have the same breakthroughs that you have on DMT. And it's normally, there's a lot of characteristics of the ayahuasca experience that you simply don't find with DMT. Mm -hmm. And along with it being a three or four hour experience instead of a, a 10 minute one. So it's like all oral routes of administration that it's kind of flattening out the experience or, or that that curve. It's, you know, when you think when you think about smoking a substance, you think about just this giant spike of effect right within yeah. like, you know, t 15 seconds, you're you're you're, you know, super off to the races, you know, massive massive uh massive hit um oral slower onset longer ride less of that peak um does uh does smoking dmt does that make you nauseous like the oral i actually i don't want to say it it's just the, that makes you throw up when you drink ayahuasca but what is that um 
is that pur- you know that purging is that just a matter of taking these t- two things together or is it actually the the uh, monoamine oxidase inhibitor do you know why somebody is puking uh, when they're doing ayahuasca? What What is the body uh, responding to there? It could be DMT and some of the other chemicals because just like a, pretty much anything that's a serotonergic drug that you use in an oral manner or you even use uh, sublingual or something like that, uh, there tend to be some sort of nausea or vomiting possibly and this might be connected to there being so many serotonin receptors in that part of the body, in mm-hmm. sort of the GI tract, the stomach. And that might be the reason. But you're also swallowing this uh, uh, an amount of a nasty liquid mm-hmm. containing a fair amount of plant chemicals and plant matter. So that might also explain the purging. There's It, it could be any mixture of those things. Yeah. Th- uh, I- for that reason and the route of administration and the amount of time that it takes to work, uh, you don't really see that with DMT when it's used in other ways. I know, you know, I, I know in the ayahuasca experience that sort of purging is typical. I guess I shouldn't, uh, you know, insult any of our... Uh, of our ancient Roman friends, I mean, before bulimia was a disease, it was, uh, you'd go to your, you know, your Roman vomitorium and we'd all puke together and all that stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, whenever I think about vomiting, I think about the body trying to clear itself of, of a foreign or excess substance. And, and, you know, I, I know a lot of people look at like, oh, well, you throw up and whatever. I, I kind of take that stuff seriously. I mean, if my body is, and again, I, I might say, hey, look, I want to go through this experience or whatever, but, but I'm always like, um, you know, when I think about puking, I think about, you know, my body saying, I don't want this. Um, I, I, I know that's kind of a, a, you know, maybe short-sighted in terms of some of the spiritual stuff. I mean, you take peyote and you're, you're throwing up, um, all sorts of things and you're throwing up, but, um, yeah. I would just encourage people out there who are listening, um, to, instead of looking at throwing up as like, oh, you know, they were, you know, drinking that night and she threw up or he threw up, um, you know, don't look at it just as like, this is like a thing to overcome. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really one of the processes of your body that is like a protective mechanism that when there's things in your stomach that it sort of doesn't want there and that should be really considered i think you know what i mean um i'm I'm very glad that you're providing vomiting 101 oh well i mean honestly i well well i i'm providing the vomiting 101 because because you know i think a lot of people dismiss vomiting as this kind of, you know, oh, this is something to deal with, but it's kind of ignoring, you know, that that sort of process, that protective process. And I don't want to ignore anything on the, on the addictive podcast, man. I want to I want to look at vomiting like, hey, my body's telling me like it's it's not pleased with this. So I well, just luckily there's really no vomiting to worry about with DMT. Okay, so so with the with the smoking of DMT, uh, it, it's not you know your body is not going into that that 
purge mode of like expelling i mean even ayahuasca right don't you kind of want to you you kind of feel like shitting yourself or you you run into the bathroom is that part of that as well no dmt is just it's pretty much a psychological drug there's very few physical effects so yeah but like the ayahuasca thing doesn't oh with with ayahuasca yeah i mean it has a full set of effects on the the gi yeah you're vomiting you're nauseous you're going to the bathroom right so so great you know i i'm thrilled that there exists these chemicals that can allow a feeling of of cleansing and of rebirth and of change and all that um but i also think it's important to just recognize uh the the physiological experience there and 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 the meaning of that and I, just all of it man i just i just really want to i never want to discount you know oh this part of the drug experience is a side effect and it's negative so so blow through that and uh and just get on with the good shit you know what i mean um you know, understanding sort of those things. So, so we're, when we're talking here about DMT, we're particularly talking about smoking it. Um, what what form are we talking usually? Powder? Um, is it the is it the giant bag of leaves like in salvia? Uh, what does it look like? Yeah, you're generally smoking a sort of powder or uh, crystal like substance. Uh, that's normally what you would be using. And it's also important to note that we're saying smoking, but it's really vaporization. It's You don't want to smoke in the sense of actually burning the chemical. So that's hmm. different from salvia. That's different from marijuana. You yeah. don't want to ever have the intensity of the heat or the flame itself ever touching DMT because you're going to inactivate it. You're going to just ruin it. It's just going to melt and you're going to be done. So you definitely don't want to do that. You want to keep the flame away either by, I mean, we'll go through a a few ways in which people do this, um, but you want to use some sort of pipe system that allows you to either cover it with innocuous herbs, just random tea things or something, and, you know, have the flame be above those or uh, put it in a system that allows you to use sort of metal uh, covers so that you can again avoid the the flame actually touching dmt because it's a very sensitive compound you just want to heat it up enough so that the vapor pressure can grow and start going down the pipe and into your into your throat so you you know very important that you do not burn it though because that'll just that's totally not work yeah that's that's really interesting see um yeah you know again not to not to like, hey, come to the addictive podcast and learn how to use a substance, but um, but again, uh, you know, I think I think knowing knowing the right way and the wrong way to deal with anything, uh, you know, based on whatever choice someone's make is in, makes is important. So so that's interesting. So we're not talking about uh, burning DMT. We're talking about vaporizing DMT. Um, do you know, uh, by any chance the temperature that that occurs at where it's optimal to vaporize it? I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who have vaporizers and things. Um, do you, do you know about that? Well, you wouldn't use a normal vaporizer. Vaporization is just a process. So you don't want to put it in like a volcano or anything like that for the most part. Um, it's just not the most optimal way to use it. I don't remember the exact temperature that this works at, 
it's just a rule of thumb that as long as you keep the flame either from a Bic lighter or from a torch lighter uh, a little bit away from the DMT and let it heat up over a few seconds, then that's the best way to go. Hmm. Uh, it is sensitive, but I I don't remember the exact temperature that it, it vaporizes at. Yeah. Does it like melt or does it? I, and again, yeah, you... it'll generally melt and then turn black. Ooh. All right. Yeah. So, okay. So, so we've, it sounds like there's more sort of detailing, uh, you know, again, um, I'm not sure if anybody, uh, you know, if they're going to be doing this uh, again, uh, you know, really sort of researching carefully on the on the methodology. We don't have to get into the exact uh, setup or anything like that here. Um, but uh, so so what's the, what's our setting, Seth? Uh, you mentioned we're not at the big party. Uh, we are. We are. Where where. And now this was interesting too. You know, there was a, a in this in the spirit molecule. You had a gentleman who was concerned. Two things really struck me in that actually about set and setting. One person talked about set and setting not mattering because where does you're going to leave your body anyway, or you're going to have this experience of leaving your body and whether you're in the hospital, by the way, I should also mention where Rick Straussman, much like our ayahuasca talk, uh, was thrilled. There was a crash cart there, right? We've talked about defibrillators, oxygen, and all those atropine or whatever the hell, um, you know, he was actually remarked that he was, happy that there was a crash cart and a hospital setting where this was being done. I, I want to emphasize that to everybody out there. Um, nobody wants to die taking drugs. Let's, let's not let that happen uh, as, as best as we can. Um, but, but then you also had a gentleman on there who talked about well, of course, set and setting meaning everything, right? The the mindset of the user and the setting uh, and the location being even more critical to the drug experience itself. So, so I wonder which one is it? Is it is it? Hey, you're going to leave your body on DMT. You can be sitting on a, you know, you could be, uh, you know, sitting anywhere and off you go. Or or is it or is it again important to um, line up, you know, aside from the safety issues, which of course are, are important, but is, is, is it more to, you know, wh wh where is the, where is the, I would say a typical setting that people choose for the, the DMT experience and yeah. does that setting matter? I think it does matter where they're using it and the set and setting are both things that you need to take into account and more so set than setting because with any drug really uh as including dmt set is everything that you're bringing to the substance the all of your psychology that you're bringing into the drug experience that's going to matter no matter where you are no matter what drug you're using for that reason you need to keep that in mind if you have a psychological issue maybe you don't want to use it and if you are setting an intention, then maybe that'll have an effect on your experience. Maybe it won't. No matter what, it does matter. Setting a little bit less so because it is the case that you're generally going to at least largely be able to close your eyes and have the full experience like that, or the experience won't differ too much if you're opening your eyes. If you break through in DMT, 
it really doesn't matter too much where you are. However, there are some things that are worth controlling. You should be in a relaxed setting, as with most psychedelics, and you should probably be sitting generally on a couch or a bed or something that you can sit back or lay down on once you start actually getting the drug effects because you'll lose your ability to stand or operate easily, move your body in any way. So you definitely don't want to be standing, things like that. You also don't want to have, uh, with some other drugs, you might turn off the lights entirely, but a lot of people report you want to keep the lights down, not too bright, but not off either, because having them off entirely can mess with the visual effects a little bit in the beginning and end of the experience. So hmm. there's something you definitely want to control. It's not entirely independent of where your 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 physical body is at so both are worth keeping in mind set more setting as well though is uh and and along with all hallucinogenics we and and it's funny because actually uh the idea of of sort of the babysitter or caretaker here i mean we're you know the drug is so fast acting yeah. And fast clearing that it seems like it wouldn't be hard to get someone to sort of stay with you or I mean 15 minutes man what 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 kind of crazy thing is that that's like 15 minutes I mean the this the speed and 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 uh you know the the curve of of something like cocaine it sounds like you know so short acting and Yeah, yeah no a, a sitter is really important for a few reasons. There's the main reason, which is sort of keeping you from dropping anything or from, you know, lighting yourself on fire with a lighter, because when you're using the drug, it generally is going to take at least two or three full pulls from the, or inhalations mm -hmm. from the pipe that you're using, because it does take quite a bit of DMT to get the full effects. For that reason, especially because you're holding in the DMT with each one. So it might be 10 seconds and 10 seconds and 10 seconds. By the time you're ready to exhale that last one, you might be about to break through. So if you're holding everything, wow. a lighter and the pipe, and you're about to break through, you probably want somebody there to grab the things out of your hand and set them somewhere safe. And then to allow you to just focus on sitting back, closing your eyes and having the experience you also, there are some people, this is pretty rare, there's definitely been some people who report uh, sort of having involuntary body actions or activities while they're under the effects of the drug, like scratching themselves or pulling at things. Mm. You see this with salvia as well. And if somebody can lightly keep you from doing that, if you're really scratching at yourself or whatever, then then that's worthwhile as well. That's pretty rare. But it does happen because yeah. you're, you're just not controlling your body. But normally you'll be <laughs> immobile and you don't have to worry about that. I can, I can really picture that on the salvia, you know, and yeah. I and I've talked about my experience and 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 sort of not liking that feeling of, uh, you know, I guess some people are into it feels like I feel like I'm surrounded in like hot late or like cold latex or <laughs> not that I know that's a thing for somebody and somebody out there hearing that is like, yeah, man, that's, that's all me. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of, oh, it's so tactile, you know, it's, it's yeah. so physical. Um, and, and so, so here, so somebody is there to sort of 
you know, gently move the dangers away from you to stay with you, to sit with you. You mentioned um, taking, uh, you know, like three pulls, hang on one sec, uh, three pulls off the pipe, again, not burning it. Um, so, so you've now taken these three pulls and you have your, your friend with you watching you, what's going to happen, man? Am I, am I going to, you know, uh, is it, I mean, you listen to that, that, that movie, right? The spirit molecule, they're talking about like exorcist moment where like Straussman and his, and I guess one of his, uh, cohorts there is watching a person on DMT and they sit up. And their eyes are, you know, super dilated, right? Pupils are totally dilated. And they're looking at each other waiting for this person's head to spin around like the exorcist. Yeah. Like, whoa, that's a pretty uh, pretty intense drug effect. I mean, are you uh, – you know, I picture that. And, and, and I guess the, the, uh, the participant has their eyes open – Right. I mean, are our eyes normally, open? Normally, they'll close them at some point. Okay. So, so your sort of eyes open, your eyes close, and you're in this realm. And is it is it in your readings and things? Has it always been sort of this ramp up to where your your first is the first experience always that fractal coloring? Um, visual kind of thing is is that really uh what what you see most in terms of people who use it first off before even the visuals is generally by maybe the second pull about 20 25 seconds after you've first taken some dmt in you'll start to have a true feeling of electricity throughout your body and that will present itself as sort of energy in the body and then that will move into a strong and continuously stronger buzzing in the ears that will just continue to grow and grow mm. for about 10 to 15 seconds. And at that point, then you have fractals and some of the most intense visuals that you can imagine, generally more intense than other psychedelics. A lot of people say that DMT produces far greater fractals and, and just color effects and all yeah. of these geometric patterns even with your eyes open than any other drug that they're aware of so that hits you and generally it's like that on both the beginning and end points of dmt and then the middle is where you have these generally closed eye uh full breakthrough experiences isn't that interesting the audio characteristics of it because i i you know i hear it, that's another thing they talk about in the film, right? Is this, you know, that sort of onset yeah. of vibration and intensity. And you know what it reminds me of? Um, and I don't know if you've ever tried it, uh, but nitrous oxide. Right. I've never tried it, but uh, again, I know I, I know about it. So okay, right. So so nitrous oxide. Uh, when, when you when you inhale nitrous oxide, uh, you know, it, 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 again, uh, laughing gas or whatever the heck you wanna wanna call it. Um, you get this uh, acoustic effect, right? And so you hear you hear like this and. And, and it's, it's just fascinating that, so DMC, ha, DMT has this, 
this sort of enveloping sound characteristic. And, and do most people experience that characteristic of it, that sound? Yeah, I wouldn't really call it a sound. It's more like there's so much energy in the body that's producing a buzzing, wow. actual sound from sort of outside of the body that you're experiencing. A mm. lot of people do have that in the over the course of the experience. Hmm. But maybe half or more actually don't have any true auditory component to their trip. Uh, so that's why the buzzing is is sort of, I don't classify that as a true auditory hallucination or anything. Mm -hmm. It's really just this strong feeling of energy that's both in the body, but more so in the head. Just this building of pressure, like you're getting ready for something to explode. And, and in many cases, that's really how the experience goes. Just build up, build up, build up, and then explode into this full experience and and you hear such spiritual tones and, and again qualifying this with the people who you know it was a it was a c convenient sampling right so they're using a, a method of sampling it's not like random sampling and they're they're yeah. essentially they put out an ad saying <laughs> you know you i never read the ad but it's essentially like dude you know here here's my version right dude do you like tripping <laughs> like well we got some <laughs> We got something for you, right? I, it's yeah. kind of like uh, the ad on that. So, so like one one gentleman's like a, a shaman. You had some more conservative types, but everyone seems very open to like the this uh, you know this type of experience. Uh, so I always wonder, um, you know, to try to qualify that in terms of what their references are. But you hear another person talk about, you know, this glowing orange rod that begins to sort of germinate around their their sort of root chakra right or around their their belly button and it's sort of extending up into their you know through their chest and into their head and then you feel the guy you know the guy's expressing I, I he was you know he's like and then he could feel the back of his head like the skin like pushing up like an inch right so yeah. he's actually feeling this glowing rod about to erupt out of the top of his head and and then it bursts through the top of his head and there's this you know and, and when you hear about like um you know even when you do guided meditations right or we would do guided meditations and therapy and things like that there's so much about like again not 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 drug affected at all here i i mean but so much in terms of when you do guided imagery or visual imagery is about like glowing orange light right yeah. and and seeing that in the body and seeing that heal certain parts of the body or heal certain psychic conditions and then carrying forth those types of things through the head to heaven at the same time grounding out the bottom of your body into the earth and sort of almost picturing yourself sort of, you know, piked on this like beam of, of, of light and energy. I, and again, you know, I'm, I'm describing something that has nothing to do with, uh, at least, a, a, you know, uh, external drug effects. This is all like yeah. classic visual imagery type stuff. Um, yeah, no, that, that building up the, the colors behind the eyelids, all of that is reminiscent of what a lot of people experience. If you have any sort of meditation uh, practice, if you go long enough, you'll generally have periods that you go in and out of where there is sort of this building of light and feeling of energy in the body. And, you know, it totally how you interpret that is totally dependent on where you're coming from. But there is that component to DMT 
generally far stronger, but there are some experiences between mm-hmm. non-drug and drug that are similar. And to some extent, it's hard to, you know, especially given all the speculation people have had with DMT, a lot of people would argue it's not even a drug versus non-drug experience because, well, maybe the meditation experiences are being mediated by some modulation of DMT in the brain. Mm-hmm. So then there's not a difference between inducing that through a dr- uh, external source or not. So there's a lot of views in that area. Well, it's it, it's interesting. I mean, you you had talked um you talked about I forget when you were you were mentioning this, but um but but this this idea of well, at least in the film there, you know, this idea of, you know, you can have these experiences uh sort of separate from external uh administration of chemicals but you know but then you then you know the guys on the film are talking about being able to you know rocket into this this world and receive this knowledge uh you know obviously rapidly and and intensely and uh you know the idea of 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 substances like DMT as this tool of access do you yeah. believe that, Seth? Do you think that things like DMT, uh, and again, just sort of sticking with the DMT thing for for a moment and not, and not sort of drifting off into the LSD realm or whatever, but yeah. do you think there's like this information carried somehow in these plants, in these molecules? Um, do, you, do you think the learning, and, and again, this is just your opinion, but do you think the learning there is about s- profound spiritual messaging, uh, and 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 it's critically important, and maybe it's critically important even if it's internal. But but do you when you talk about these experiences, do you experience, do you see, visualize them, or see them as more of like an external experience or an internal experience, or it doesn't matter to you? What's what's your feeling on that? I would say in most of these cases, it's if you say it's external, then you're you're postulating the right. lot of uh, extraterrestrial uh, of, involvement, yeah. and, <laughs> right? And, you know, it's, and it's worth saying that, and, right. and we'll get into this with sort of the peak experience that that information, whether it's coming from yourself, and in my opinion, I'd be far more inclined to say that it's coming from some part of the user than that there's some yeah distinctly external source that they've connected to i don't think that's nearly as likely and it's far easier to explain that's not saying it isn't the case but there's a lot of jumps in our knowledge of the the human system and and pretty much everything about the world that would have to be uh there's a lot of discoveries that would have to be made to support anything other than it's coming from within yourself. Yeah. The fact that these experiences are coming from when you, within yourself is already amazing. But yeah. If you're actually communicating with aliens, well, there's a whole other step to that, and <laughs> I'm not as inclined to believe it. Well, well, that was kind of what I was re- referring to or, or, or sort of remembering back you talking about was this idea of – you know, of these, of these sort of archetypes or archetypal figures, 
appearing with different substances, right? Ayahuasca, yeah. jaguars, and things. And of course, you you may be referencing these things, but but to you know, isn't it fascinating when you talk when you talk about DMT and people going to sort of the spiritual realm? Um, you know, the idea of angels and these archetypes, I mean, let's face it, this is not DMT specific, uh, or maybe it is, you know, but, but, but these types of figures throughout, you know, human, I, I guess, and I'll say human, I'm not sure if other animals, what they experience on it, but, uh, but, but the idea of these figures and of these realms that are familiar, I mean, isn't that crazy, right? I mean, you know, you take DMT and you you go off into one of these places and and people are describing familiarity with these places and figures and uh I mean, that's wild, man. You know, you met yeah. and like you mentioned that on ayahuasca. I mean, it, 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 where the hell is that coming from, you yeah, know? I was going to say that if you're just using DMT, the experiences are so varied with if they experience entities, which doesn't happen to everybody. If they do, they're generally quite different from each other. And for that reason, if I were of the mindset that's more uh, open to strange spiritual beliefs, then I would say that DMT is a general opener of consciousness to different sort of realms of thinking or realms of experience and then the archetypal or individual sort of entities that everybody seems to experience if they experience them tend to come from the plants themselves and that's why in ayahuasca mother ayahuasca that entity whatever that is is associated not with dmt but with a different plant entirely with salvia or at least in my personal experience and in many other experiences Again, there's sort of a plant entity that's there. And then some people even report it with Datura, Brumansia, that class of drugs as well. So, But DMT, the extracted chemical when used in that way, there are entities, but they're very general. There's everything from, you know, uh, Terrence McKenna called them machine elves and other people call them angels. Other people call them uh, true ET aliens. And then others are stick figures. I mean, they're entirely different from each other. And maybe they're part of some realm of existence. Who knows? But they're, it's different to some extent from these other drugs like I just described where if you see an entity or speak with an entity, it always has very similar characteristics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I know I want to believe. <laughs> I want to yeah. believe, man. I want to believe that you know, that one uh, participant's uh, story where she saw the, these large overarching godlike figures sort of, you know, looking at the earth and, 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 and reassuring her that she is loved, that she is noticed, you know, it's like almost, you know, and you talked about sort of the, the negative experiences, but, uh, you know, that, that sort of reassuring spiritual, it is very like spiritually birthing in a way. I mean, it's like this, 
It's just wild. I mean, so if it's not external, right, if your brain is not the antenna to the heavens or whatever, and then, and then you know, then even looking inward. So if we're not shooting outwards, we're looking inwards, and then we're, you know, what are we, I, I'm hesitant to even use the word unlocking, but exploring in ourselves that would lend oneself to feeling cosmically propelled beyond space-time into you know i mean isn't that fucking awesome i mean wow that's so incredible man you know i i I think this is where you know it doesn't matter too much if it's coming externally or not because it's amazing that the human mind is capable of perceiving the things that it's perceiving under the influence of dmt or other drugs at all. I mean, the fact that that's possible and that you can potentially gain some sort of understanding of your life or knowledge of things in general, well, that's great. I mean, regardless of aliens or gods or anything like that, it's, it's, it's fascinating and worth being explored further. So that's why I don't think that you need to jump to the first thing that pops into your mind when you come out of the experience and you're thinking, I just spoke with God. Well, maybe you don't need to actually believe that moving forward uh there might just be for whatever reason that experience that was unlocked for lack of a better word uh in yourself so yeah it's very unclear what's going on here and the fact that people have such varied experiences like i said and the fact that a lot of you know what dmt does could be explained in entirely uh other ways like some People that have researched the drug have postulated that it's the result of sort of shutting down more advanced parts of the brain and retreating to more primitive things. So you're just having very primitive experiences that come from a combination of memories and things like that. Yeah. Who knows? (laughs) That's the thing. Who knows? No clue. And, And yet it does seem helpful for for many people i mean dmt less though than something like ayahuasca and i mean ayahuasca is obviously dmt but it's in a different way if it's smoking dmt it's almost it's actually kind of rare that it's helpful in any way hmm well it yeah i mean it's uh like you're saying whether it's internal or external um well well, let me ask you i mean because it seems like it it sounds helpful in that you you know for for people who have tried DMT, who have had a positive experience on it, they feel like they've been, you know, uh, exposed to a different part of the world that exists, but that is not visible or accessible or whatever. So, um, you know, it's it's sort of like traveling in a way. I mean, you oh, yeah. look at this amazing place. So. Uh, and then the ayahuasca experience. So would you say the ayahuasca experience as it relates to DMT and things, the ayahuasca experience is more, you know, you, I've heard it described as like, uh, you know, people passing, you know, they're sort of seeing their, or their lives, or is that more the Ibogaine experience? Um, there, well, there's a life review component to both. Ibogaine definitely has a life review. Okay. Ayahuasca happens for some people. Okay. So, so the DMT thing, it's, you know, or at least smoking DMT or vaporizing DMT. I should be really specific about that. I mean, it doesn't sound like smoking. It's fine to say smoking. I mean, that's the easiest way to to go through the conversation. As long as people know that when they're about to use it, they're not. 
holding a flame. Right. So, so when you say it's not helpful, what, what do you, um, why do you, why do you say that? Helpful in a very specific way in the same way that ayahuasca or something is, which I mean is not this general breaking out of your normal patterns that can be useful no matter mm-hmm. what psychedelic you're using. And the same thing can even happen with, uh, I mean, the same thing can happen with salvia. The same thing can happen with even lucid dreams. I mean, when I've had lucid dreams before, you wake up and then you you go through the rest of you know your week, and but you can't quite get that lucid dream out of your head because the experience was either interesting or the fact that this is possible that you suddenly were in effectively a different reality that you had a strange aspect of control over but that was very similar to normal reality and it felt quite natural being in that state, that is enough to break you out of a, a normal way of thinking. Yeah. So in a general sense, DMT can certainly be helpful, but in this more specific sense of finding out things about your life, finding ways to improve your life, all of that tends to come from the drugs that are longer acting. And that means ayahuasca, that means ibogaine, things like that. For the yeah. most part, people... they come down from DMT and the most that they remember is they had an experience. What they experienced, they barely remember. Huh. So it's hard for that to be truly beneficial in the the latter sense. I was thinking about that yesterday, you know, the idea of dreaming and on how profound dreaming is. I mean, if there, you know, if there was a drug that, you know, Ambien or whatever, but uh, a drug that like induced a dream, like, I mean, do you realize how amazing like a dream experience can be and how vivid yeah. like you're describing? I mean, um, well, I think if you had a drug that reliably could cause multiple lucid dreams a night, the need for some of the psychedelic exploration that people do would almost certainly go by the wayside because of what dreams are capable of. And it only takes having a lucid dream to realize the power that those things can have over your mind when you wake up the next day. Yeah. Well, and especially that sort of refreshing, I mean, it does feel like your brain, you know, you have an, even an intense nightmare. I mean, that's going to really cause you to sort of reflect and, and to look and, uh, and all of that. So, so this is an, you know, it's unfortunate what you described. You said that when you take DMT, that you are generally, or sounds like most likely to not recall the experiences that you had. Um, that's, yeah, this is where I, one of the recommendations that I have if people are using DMT is make sure, uh, you know, outside of having a sitter, Try and have either a notepad or even better, a recorder with your phone or something to spew out as much as you can when you're coming down because there will, there will be uh, at least a five-minute or so period once the peak is over that you'll be able to operate in reality again and you'll have a pretty good recollection of what just happened. And the biggest thing is you will want to spew that out if there's people in the room you'll want to tell them everything because you'll remember it it's going to be amazing if you can harness that by recording it in some manner i've noticed that some people say it's similar to like a dream because if you write down right when you're in that in-between state between being in a dream and being awake and you write down what you experienced you can go back to that later and kind of recall in a, in a better way than you normally would everything that happened and i think 
that certainly suggests there's some aspect of memory that we don't normally have access to, but if we have enough triggers for the memory, we can bring it back and piece it together. And it seems to be the case with DMT. If you don't record it in any way, 90% is gone within 10 minutes of you coming down. Wow. Whereas wow. ayahuasca, you might remember the entire thing when you come down. So there's a big difference, even though it's it's in many ways the same drug. Yeah. Um, what You know, and again, it might just sort of be how I'm conceptualizing it, but I almost see when I think about ayahuasca, right, and I think about, the, again, that long long curve or that or that flattened curve of oral administration and then the three to four hours um you know i almost see that as like a blending of of sort of the physical realm right us being here on on earth if that's uh if that's really happening um but but the sort of the mixing of that you know of that physical realm with that whatever i don't want to say celestial but spiritual i guess spiritual is the safest word but that that sort of spiritual realm and and sort of with ayahuasca sort of you know you're sort of floating in and out of your own life of sort of this spiritual experience uh, during this purging i almost see it like sort of touching the loving mother ayahuasca getting so right you could hear i'm sure you could see me on skype just kind of sort of as i let my brain go but uh but sort of that that mixing of the of the pure unrefined universal love kind of you know plant spirit whatever with the more concrete uh reflective aspects of life and then you know, sort of being, you know, ref- almost reflecting on aspects of life in the context of those spiritual, uh, experience, spiritual experiences. And then, and then sort of almost minimizing your own life experience in that context. So you're, you're, oh, look, here's trauma, but trauma in the face of, you know, of, of, of sort of divine beings embracing me with love in the forest, you know, making telling me that everything's okay you know what i mean it's sort of and there's and there's some of that with the dm the smoke dmt experience as well because one of the important things is that unlike some drugs some dissociatives or uh even salvia well actually definitely salvia if you've had a true breakthrough um you actually don't tend to lose your ego and your personality and your thoughts and things like that so You'll have, at least during the experience, this, a lot of people report having the sort of realization that other things were insignificant, or this is what really matters, or this is the true reality, and those sort of thoughts about comparing and contrasting what they're experiencing right now versus what they were experiencing yesterday at work. And for that reason, you can have some of the same benefits at least in the moment, as you would with ayahuasca, the important, the important and unfortunate thing is just that simple issue of not remembering it. And it's unlikely if you don't remember it at all to have a lasting change. Yeah. So it's almost like it's, it's almost like rushing past you and uh, so quickly. And then you're, and then you're 
you know, your memory, it, it, what's unusual to me is when we talk about memory, you know, uh, emotionality is intricately connected to memory. So what they found is that you want to make a memory stick, connect it with an emotion, right? Yeah. So, and this, you could see how biologically for survival, I mean, you know, uh, a lion attacks you or, 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 you know, being terrified of something is a great way to keep you alive, um, yeah. and, and so it all, you know, so, so even though it's the, the experiences sound very emotional, it's still, you're not getting that, uh, that, that, you know, I remember my psilocybin experiences. I remember taking mushrooms and, and having the big, you know, shit eating grin on my face and having, you know, good times with my friends and feeling like we're in this own special world together. And, you know, it's very much in the, in, in sort of this dimension, if you will, but, uh, but yeah, so DMT, it all goes rushing, sort of rushing by, almost like, uh, it's almost like, yeah, like you get this sort of window and, ah, just amazing. Okay, so, so kind of getting into it a little bit. So, um, we, we've, we've taken DMT in, in our discussion now where, um, you know, do we know about how long each of these sort of, you know, the initial phase of, of sort of visuals to the phase of, you know, falling or is all that completely unique to the person or, or how long, I mean, 15 minutes, how, how, how and, and people come out of this and they're like, what? I've been, I've been gone for a week. Right. And yeah. so, so how, so do we have an actual timeline generally, or do you, have you read enough about like how long, each of these things is actually happening or, or where it put, put the experience together for us, if you can. Well, the timeline, we certainly know, like I was saying before, you have about enough time to get at least a few hits from the pipe. And mm -hmm. that during that period of time, the effects are sort of ramping up with these bodily effects, the visions are growing, yeah. etc. The main thing is, and this will not really affect the timeline, but the range of effects is, do you have enough in your system to break through or are you just going to have this continuous ramping up of very amazing geometric uh, visual effects and all sorts of things, maybe even auditory hallucinations, all mm. a, a range of things can happen even with the sub breakthrough dose, but you won't actually enter generally a separate freestanding reality in that experience. Um, regardless, though, of, of what you have at that peak moment, about the two-minute mark, uh, by about five minutes, the experience will largely be done. You'll be coming down by 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you're effectively done entirely. And then by 30 and 45 minutes, any of the lasting effects are generally gone as well. So everything is, is what can you pack into you know a five- or eight-minute period with mm -hmm. about a one- or two-minute come up in a in a couple minute come down so. yeah i'm surprised you know i'm surprised by actually smoking it i'm surprised you even get that that ramp up um even even a few minutes for, uh, of coming you know that sounds slow for for sort of that that route of administration for smoking well, doesn't I, I it say the, the come up is, is really about that first minute and okay just, and and i think part of the reason why it's being somewhat extended and not happening immediately at you know like the 45 second mark although it does for yeah. some people is because it really depends on how much you're getting with each 
dose and it may hmm. require getting some in the first 15 seconds and getting more in the second 15 seconds and then getting more in the last 15 seconds from each toke in order to get enough into your system. For that reason, you're not going to break through until maybe the the one, one and a half minute mark. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas other people, if you had a really good dose or you're just sensitive for whatever reason, uh, then maybe it'll it'll begin working at 30 seconds. No matter what, it's pretty fast. And yeah. A lot of well, the fastest, I mean, when we talk about smoking, uh, again, for the listeners, that's the fastest route of administration, um, right? Uh, it, it, even, uh, I mean, through the lungs, it's, uh, I mean, it's like six seconds. Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't take very long at all. Uh, in many cases, IV will be faster, and then smoking will be kind of second, and then intranasal will be pretty close to smoking as well in many right. cases for at least some drugs but again it, it'll depend because you know with marijuana which is a commonly smoked substance you don't tend to have the effects in like 30 seconds it'll right. take at least a, a, a minute or two before it really you begin to feel a little different yeah and it'll ramp up from there and you will have a full ramp up with marijuana that... whereas with dmt it is just boom right there just like with iv kind of hits you um <laughs> And that's your your poor blood brain barrier. I, I hope people understand that too, right? So yeah. uh, again, you know, you you have this you have the blood brain barrier, which sort of insulates the brain from a lot of the shit you pour into yourself, and uh, you know, it's holding on, man. It's it's trying to, poor blood brain barrier. It's trying to keep this stuff out, I guess, to some degree. Uh, and here we are in our conscious selves, trying to override our bodies, and we're puking and. Uh, all these things we we certainly want to be careful i mean everything is has its cost right so um so we have this what else can we say about this this kind of uh experience Seth, is in terms of being in it and and i think your uh i think your advice in terms of recording and we have someone there and uh uh, is there anything else? I mean, I, I know I, I was sort of just watching some stuff online, but but what else in the experience? I, oh, and, and I should also mention that next week, well, Seth, we're going to have a real drug user. <laughs> we're gonna have, uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to have a real drug user on the podcast. And uh, we, we, I, we've had a few, right? We've, we've had some. We've had an Adderall uh, gentleman who... Uh, you know, had an Adderall addiction and things like that. But we are going to have a a uh, a neuroscience student, or I think a prospective neuroscience student, or he's trying to get in right now. But he has had uh, DMT and I think twenty five I all all sorts of various experience. And I talked to this guy and. And he was really, he's, it seemed like a very sharp guy. Again, you know, um, a normal drug user, if there, if there is such a thing in the, uh, you know, I, I guess that doesn't exist in America. There are, there's only drug abusers in America, right, Seth? Um, of course, yeah. that's all there is. Millions that, of drug abusers. Uh, un unless, of course, you're you're on you know on a, on a daily prescription of uh, of amphetamine salts and Adder you know or Adderall or, <laughs> yeah. or uh, you know then you're not an addict. Then you're a user. Then you're whatever. But uh, but yeah, in terms of so so clearly a a a drug abuser going off to uh, to some some cool college, but who has had some of these experiences. And uh, is there anything else, though, Seth, that we want to talk about? Uh, he's going to share sort of his his ideas and his comparisons between some of the different psychedelics. Again, it's yeah. we're we're very focused on psychedelics right now, and they 
you know, of all the drugs that that don't fit into sort of the abuse, I, I, you know, the abuse category, or again, they can, but they don't lend themselves to being very abusive. You know, I, I've never treated an, you know, uh, in in my history, I've never had someone come in to to uh, to outpatient or anything like that and be like, I'm a DMT addict. You know, I think that really just they exist and they exist with a lot of psychedelics. They just present with different effects on their life. And for that reason, they're not lending themselves to normal treatment and they don't feel like they have an issue in the same way. But some of these strong psychedelic or psychedelic like drugs certainly are connected to many addictions i mean there's many people who are using these in what i would say is an abusive manner so they're not unique um in that way i I really don't think they are we should get um you know one of the things that i I think i'm going to try to find is someone who actually struggles with psychedelics um i i I think that'd be really useful i mean you know the problem is the problem is getting somebody who is is struggling with psychedelics and thinks that they're struggling with psychedelics because there's i've come across many people who would would say that they're on some sort of amazing spiritual path and are actually making themselves worse on a day-to-day basis mm. and many people come to mind throughout history that have done this to themselves yeah. so unlike someone who is a heroin addict a lot of them will at the same time as they're continuing to use the drug will know that they have an issue on some level psychedelic users who are using in the wrong way what we would say is an abusive or wrong manner Mm-hmm. probably have a totally different view so well do you think do you think there's a I, I mean talking about physiological withdrawal right like i'm the first one to, to to tell the world that yeah marijuana is like can be totally addictive for some people and they can have um oh man i i had a, a friend's uh son is in town and uh, th- this guy's he- he's crawling out of his skin for the first uh, five days, by the way, from cannabis. I should, uh, you know, uh, tell you that right now. Um, tell him that cannabis is an addictive. <laughs> I was like, dude, you never have to feel that way again. Like, uh, and I gave him the whole ibuprofen spiel yeah. and all that. Well, um, the thing is, is, I mean, when we're talking about addiction, I generally, at least now what I'm talking about with people, I am generally classing, classifying addiction as the psychological aspect and then the dependence being this withdrawal tolerance all that sure however that's not even you know a a distinction that really matters with marijuana because like many other other abused substances it has both i mean you have tolerance you have withdrawal and you have a psychological dependence or addiction if you want to call it that you talk to many people and they cannot imagine living their lives without using marijuana on a day-to-day basis. Right. Of course it's an addict. I mean, what else are they? So in those situations, people just due to the fact, like we were describing with psychedelics, people having fewer negative effects on their life, they don't view it in nearly the same way as someone who is homeless because they've spent too much money on heroin. So, mm-hmm that's where the distinction tends to come from in the way that people view it on a physiological and psychological level it's the same as methamphetamine cocaine heroin whatever do we see any type of physiological dependence uh, again speaking strictly of 
of craving and withdrawal, distancing ourselves from even the 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 psychological uh, or or spiritual effects. Uh, do we see that with DMT? Is there any type of? Uh, and again, you know, when I think of when I think of with you know physiological dependence and withdrawal, I think of uh, you know frequent readministration and all that. Um, do you, do you get any, have, does anybody ever describe like, man, I haven't done DMT, uh, in a few days and I'm really feeling crappy from well, I that. Would say that's, I would say that's, that's psychological unless you're saying physical is some sort of neuronal. Yeah. I'm saying like a, a full on craving. Pathways are the same as what gets you to eat food and gets you to do anything, pick up your glasses. I mean, anything that you can imagine you're relying on those pathways. So I think it's really difficult to say that's a that's a physical thing which is where we get into the addiction is not a disease mm -hmm. aspect of all this so on the physical level if you look up physical dependence you're seeing tolerance and withdrawal because it means the whole dependence aspect is that your system has changed in order to function in a close to homeostasis way under the drug's effects when they're in the system because you see no tolerance and really no uh, neuronal changes, no receptor changes for the most part with DMT, mm -hmm. it's really not possible because, like I said, you can use it all the time, no tolerance, and that means that if you stop, you're not really going to have withdrawal. So for that reason, right. really, no, it's not physically uh, so, dependent, but there is the psychological aspect that you can get uh, addicted to. So it's not down-regulating -re your serotonergic system? or, or... It definitely doesn't seem like it, no. Yeah, so so what is the mecha mechanism of action here, Seth? What what's going on in your brain when you when you take this very simple molecule? Good. And now we're uh, getting into the the pharmacology and chemistry. So, mm -hmm. um when you're taking it, this is primarily a serotonin drug, and that makes perfect sense because it's a very basic tryptamine. It's 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 about as basic as you can get, and it's very close to serotonin. So, it affects effectively all serotonin receptors you'll generally hear 5-HT2A thrown mm -hmm. around and that might be where the a lot of the psychedelic effects of DMT are coming from but mm -hmm. when you actually look at what it's doing it has a very very high affinity so it binds readily to pretty much all serotonin receptors and it definitely seems to activate and work as a agonist at many of them so where the effects are coming from who knows but it definitely works at all of them um, on top of that, it does seem to affect sigma receptors, which is somewhat interesting because sigma is one of the, I guess, newer systems in the sense that we know very little about why, um, that system exists, what it's actually doing, but there are some connections that have been made to things like addiction and depression and schizophrenia. So that would be interesting to see what mm -hmm. DMT is doing to, say, depressed people, because you do see a lot of people say with ayahuasca that it has these lasting long-term depression-relieving effects, and you see the same thing with other um, sigma drugs. So I wonder if that's where the antidepressant effects are coming from. But the psychological, the acute psychedelic effects are almost certainly coming from a combination of serotonin receptors because it affects all of them. Um, Sigma is, it's not clear what acute effects it's having. And what's interesting with that is there's been some talk about if sigma receptors are also involved in DMT's normal effects in the brain. Because it's kind of assumed 
that DMT, if it's having an effect normally, it's, it's having the effects that serotonin on a day-to-day basis. And But with sigma, it might not because the concentration required for activation or you know, binding basically is uh, a bit higher than you would see with the natural amounts. But then there's these strange mechanisms, which you see with other things, um, some other uh, endogenous chemicals, where they're actually stored in uh, essentially vessels in the brain and then released in a significant amount at different times. If DMT does that, which it might, then it means all of these receptors are being lit up at different times. And this is this lends itself to a mechanism for the endogenous dream states if there's a connection to DMT there or these other natural meditative states if again there's a connection to DMT which there might not be but it's a there's a mechanism that could exist to allow for it and we've talked about this before i i mean this idea and and again just just sort of so people can can kind of follow this um you know dmt you look at the picture very simple molecule you you tag a few um extra little atoms on different parts of it and you get uh serotonin you get psilocybin all all sorts of you know very similar so 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 through the simplicity of the shape of the molecule it happens to fit very well in all of these serotonin receptors and this isn't this isn't any kind of reuptake inhibitor this is just pure cause the neuron to fire and and uh, it, so it's mimicking serotonin as opposed to creating the release of more serotonin. Is is that correct? Correct. And and it seems to do similar things potentially, um, or at least it binds to dopamine and, and adrenergic um, receptors as well. Again, we don't know what the role that they play. But yeah, in terms of the serotonin effects, um, very simple molecule. Just in general, go over some basic chemistry with the tryptamines, which is where a lot of neurotransmitters are coming from, whether it's serotonin or you also have melatonin, which is important. And it's also something that some people still connect to DMT because melatonin is produced from the pineal gland. So it's possible that if there's some connection to dreaming, for example, then there may also be uh, a melatonin effect. Anyways, tryptamines are very simple. They just have... um, uh, an indole ring, and then that's attached to uh, an amino ring, uh, amino group um, by an ethyl side chain. And all that basically means is that you have places on the amino group and on the uh, indole ring that you can switch out hydrogen atoms, which would normally be there, and replace them with something else, creating a new chemical. In the case of DMT, you just have a simple chemical process in the body that on the amino group binds two methyl groups to it, and that's it. And that's actually simpler than really even melatonin. So DMT is one of the simplest tryptamines out there uh, for that reason. And on top of DMT, we didn't really talk about it, but bufotenine and uh, 5-MeO-DMT are also found in uh, the human body as well. And those are also simple chemicals. In the case of bufotenine, you do the same thing. You have a methyl group, a methyl group, and then a hydroxy group um, elsewhere on the molecule. So these are all very simple, and that allows them to bind very easily with a very high affinity to serotonin. 
there is one issue with this potentially with long-term users because there's a connection between um, 5-HD2B that over time agonists of that receptor spot may result in uh, cardiovascular issues. So we know that DMT is a definitely binding at that point. If it also works as an agonist there, then if you use DMT regularly, there might be a connection to cardiovascular issues later in life. So that's that's one of the few th- issues with the pharmacology of DMT. Yeah, I, you know these uh, these hormone. I, I mean DMT. It's I guess it, it's a hormone. I mean that that would be. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a. It's certainly a natural neurochemical um mm-hmm. how it's working will really you know change the way that we talk about it for example calling it a neurotransmitter or not if it's actually doing that right. we just don't we don't currently know there was one thing i just remembered it sure. doesn't have a huge effect on the um the effects but you were talking about um it's not releasing serotonin but it does have some effect on inhibiting the reuptake at least temporarily okay. So it might increase serotonin, not by releasing it, but just working by blocking the system. Um, Leaving the it in the system. synaptic uh, gap there. However, it doesn't seem like that's probably the reason why um, you're getting the psychedelic effects or the majority of the effects. But again, it's a it's pretty complex, so we don't know where the full effects are coming from. But that just popped into my mind. Well, you you mentioned the cardiovascular issue, and it's and and the reason, sort of the hormone thing. I, I mean, it's very important to realize that a lot of these chemicals are not just affecting your your psychological state. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Uh, look at look at cannabis and the profound effect on uh, you know. I, I mean, actually, cannabis is a tough one because you're talking about so many different cannabinoids and things like that. But um, but but no, you look cannabis. It's a, yeah. it is a good example because it shows how widespread yeah. receptors for a drug because CB one, which is the main receptor for the cannabis or THC in, in cannabis, right, uh, is all over the body. So yeah, well, essentially we'll, every part is affected. Well, look at you normally just think of the brain. Yeah, well, we'll look at like look at opiate receptors and and, and uh, endorphin receptors. I mean, you know, in the brain, okay, great, get a nice you know dopamine rush. You feel all warm and cuddly and all that. Well, put that in your stomach and anesthetize the the motility of your digestive tract. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, become constipated and. And uh, as any uh, as any opioid addict will tell you, um, you can't really go to the bathroom well. And when you do, it's it's not good, and everything backs up in your body, <laughs> right? So so when you talk about DMT, I appreciate you 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 mentioning sort of the issues. So what is that? What is the concern there around? Um, you know, I, and again, Seth, I don't I don't ever want to string you out here beyond. Uh, I know you pretty much read just anything that sort of floats yeah. across amazon.com uh, or whatever but uh but what what is what is the uh, physiological concerns getting beyond uh, again beyond the psychological beyond addiction physiologically what are we what are we concerned about when it comes to DMT well i did mention that possible concern through one of the serotonin receptor systems 
because it's not proven and it would only really matter if you were really using DMT in a in a very heavy way for the bulk of your life, mm. um, it probably is not worth talking about too much because it won't affect the majority of people. However, yeah. there are some heart issues for certain individuals that are worth taking into consideration because you do um, see an increase in blood pressure and heart rate, albeit small. However, it seems to be the case that DMT affects certain people differently because I was able, when you look through some of the case reports and studies involving DMT, uh, there was one with someone who had schizophrenia who with DMT had a huge increase in their heart rate and had a bunch of temporary cardiovascular issues as a result. So it does seem that maybe some people are particularly sensitive. And again, the fact that it was in a schizophrenic patient really suggests, well, <laughs> maybe there's again a connection to mental illness with DMT, but we don't know. Regardless, the majority of users notice an increase. It's just not significant. However, if you have heart issues, then clearly anything that reliably increases your heart rate and blood pressure should be taken with caution. Does this lead us also back to concerns uh, about someone taking psychotropics or SSRIs or, um, and, and especially uh, if you're taking a, a monoamine oxidase inhibitor, uh, what, do you know what's a common uh, monoamine oxidase inhibitors? What are those? Do you know what those are typically prescribed for? Is that like a is that like a, a, a cardiac issue or, or what are what are MAOIs? Uh, what are they given for? Do you know? I mainly connect uh, MAOIs in the prescription setting to um, they're not used as much anymore. Antidepressant but they were or for antidepressant, right? Because they were one of the the along with the tricyclic antidepressants. They ah, were yeah. part of that That's sort right. of first wave of antidepressants. They've kind of gone by the wayside because we have SSRIs and other um, like SN, SNRIs and things like that. But they were used for that, and they still are for some people. Mm -hmm. and, made, and, and so, so, and we talk about uh, monoamine oxidase. So, so monoamine oxidase breaks down, and, and as we look at the DMT molecule, we look at the similarities between that and serotonin. So monoamine oxidase, you, is it safe to – that breaks down serotonin as well? Yeah, it breaks down. It breaks down a few different neurotransmitters. Right. Okay. So, so that particular, uh, you know, molecule sort of matches up with 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 serotonin or or DMT and and sort of breaks that down. Um, so you can even see why you know in the past as an anti, uh, you know, anti uh, or or or. or mood drug or whatever or, or antidepressant or whatever they're using it for that the idea of being you know leave more serotonin in the body in the body um don't break it down as quick inhibit monoamine oxidase and you'll get uh you know more of, of what you know the natural neuro neurochemistry in the body to have you feeling better so i'm just yep. i'm just sort of laying that out so people can see like that's one of the fascinating things about drugs and things like that is it's a very mechanical uh you know sort of functionality right you're talking you know this molecule shaped like this fit, fits into this hole with this sort of electrical binding, uh, you, you, you know, this, you know, nuclear force as it work binding into the receptor and, and it, and yeah. it goes in there because it fits there, yep. you know, or, or this particular molecule breaks up this particular molecule because they sort of fit together, 
um, and, and sort of one one you know a nuclear bond on on some particular atom or part of that molecule sort of you know is is it has an affinity to this other one so it breaks it apart or or it's it's just very mechanical in nature. Yeah. Um, we talk about drugs and things like that. So so let's see where should we go next, Seth? I mean we've talked about uh, we've talked about. Yeah. One of the things is 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 sort of giving people a a brief overview of the history of the drug too because that's sure. that's interesting. We didn't really discuss it. Although before getting to that, it's uh cuz we're sort of ending the the main effects part of DMT. Mm -hmm. Um we didn't really discuss dose, so it's worth going through that. Yeah, yeah, all all those good stuff. I I just yeah. love all the spirit, you know. I I didn't on this podcast, I didn't I really wanted to sort of you know, I, and I know we've sort of have, have framed things up and we when we've done other drugs about like, you know, the, the history and the experience. I wanted to sort of freak out a little bit on this one. Um, I, I wanted yeah, to get fine, especially yeah. because with DMT, it's such a unusual drug. It's such a non recreational yeah. drug in, in that sense that the majority of people who are coming across it or seeking it out are doing it for the reasons that we discussed, these spiritual reasons. So to ignore yeah. that would be uh, yeah. unwise. It's just fascinating. So, okay. So getting into you, let's, let's get into history. Let's get into dose. Um, yeah. let, let's start with history. Let's, let's go back, uh, you know, uh, and again, hearing, you know, DMT, a drug that had been, uh, mentioned in in sort of subtle writings, you know, sort of says, you know, hey, there's this hallucinogenic that lasts 15 minutes, and it's called the businessman's trip. But I never knew anybody who ever did that or tried that or anything like that. So you would just yeah. sort of hear about it, and now it's it's uh, pretty mainstream. I mean, the fact that I'm watching like. You know Joe Rogan. <laughs> he's doing. By the way, you saw you saw you've seen that video, right? The spirit molecule. Yeah. Isn't the whole 1950s like uh, you know yeah, Univac yeah, for some reason in black and white recording? <laughs> you know. <laughs> intros to each segment i don't oh know you know was, but... coming to you live from the broadcast studios yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i he must have had a, a, a just a kick doing that with with a sort of the loose you know s sort of slacker you know the black tie black suit kind of it just a just a funny sort of get up that uh that they went at that with but um so so at least there is a history that that has been you know that i had heard about um unlike uh, some of these other compounds which are either newly invented or whatever so take us back seth where you know i we know about hoffman and lsd we know about you know some of these other histories where where does dmt uh first come into the picture in terms of human consciousness Thousands of years ago, um, yeah. Isn't there like uh, one of these? We discussed briefly with ayahuasca that for that one, a lot of people claim it's thousands of years, but it might be only a few hundred years. Okay. But DMT and other forms, which is the important point in either smoking it or using it as snuffs, where generally there'll be sort of a long tube and somebody will forcefully blow plant matter into your nose which hurts mm. quite a bit but produces significant effects mm. uh those 
ways of using DMT might be three, 4,000 years old. And there's certainly mm -hmm. um, snuff trays and pipes that are about that old. So it suggests that in South America, people have been using plants that contain DMT for quite a long time in those ways. And it was actually recorded by explorers from Europe in the 1400s and 1500s, but then newer finds with things like the pipes and the trays tells us that it probably is a lot older than the 1400s. So it has a very long history if you look at it from that way. But then in the modern sense, the history of DMT starts more in the early 1900s. And that's when you end up moving in the direction that we are at where you're extracting DMT mm -hmm. and you're using the pure chemical and you're injecting it and you're getting these these very short concentrated trips that's a bit newer than what people were experiencing before but the idea of actually of of actually smoking or using yeah. ignition it sounds like so are we talking now of course ayahuasca and in, involving D, you know uh, dmt and its effect but um, are, are you saying that the use of DMT seems to be even older than the combining of the two chemicals into ayahuasca? Do, you're, you're saying that even prior to that, there, there was folks, you know, uh, drying and, or, or yeah, I guess. H historical evidence points to that, archaeological evidence points to that, and wow. common sense would tell you that using one plant rather than finding this obscure combination of plants would come first using one plant is much easier than than combining sure. two where there's no there's no obvious reason to combine combine the plants of one uh, the leaves of one plant and the the roots of another there's no normal or the vine of another there's no actual normal reason to do that until you've experimented with a bunch of different plants so it all points to ayahuasca being newer than these other forms wow um that's amazing as well. I mean, imagine being the guy in the forest, whether you're the shaman or actually it's probably not the shaman. It's sh the, the shaman's assistant who is responsible for like, okay, we got another 10 plants here that I need to, you know, I need to smoke eight of these before, uh, you know, I bet they might have gone through quite a few of them. Um, you, you know what I'm saying? I, that's a, that's a heavy, uh, heavy burden, uh, mainly because there's plenty of plants that if you smoke will kill you. And so, yeah. uh, wow, that's, uh, that's quite a role to play. Um, just, just really, really amazing. So, so the history going way back into South America, um, into these idea of snuffs and smoking. Imagine being, you know, your, your sort, well, actually, maybe you're even more knowledgeable of the forest, right? You're, you're living there and you, I mean, if you didn't have quote unquote the Western scientific knowledge of neurochemistry or whatever, um, holy shit. I mean, can you imagine having the effect and, and not having the reference of science? Uh, maybe, maybe that even, you know, again, I, I don't want to diminish it by, by saying that, but, um, but you, you don't really have a you sort of any, you know, I sort of, I guess you do. I mean, you have living in the forest, living in earth, whatever, but then to have this type of experience, um, you know, you know that, you know, the forest has different plants that affect consciousness. Yeah. 
Um, but but that must have been, I mean, just wild. Um, is is this also connected? Do we see this in 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 like uh, in 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 sort of the um, you know? I, I, actually, I'm not sure which one came latter, but like Aztec, Mayan, Incan, and is is there DMT involvement in those cultures? Those would be much more recent. Uh, yeah, DMT with the Aztecs. I'm not sure. There's not as many. There's certainly to this day not a lot of DMT specific use that we associate with um, that area where the Aztecs were. Mm-hmm. But the Incans, which were covering essentially all of the ayahuasca or DMT using parts of South America when they were uh, in existence for a short period of time, um, they actually. Uh, certainly encountered or even used yeah. uh whether it was ayahuasca or snuffs or smoking or whatever and but that would have been way more recent that would have been you know only a thousand or so years ago yeah well there was that there was the group before all of those i forget the name of them um but there was a group sort of older than those civilizations and I'm just wondering, um, yeah, I, I mean, and, and then you look at sort of where those cultures go in terms of their beliefs or, you know, I, again, I'm, you know, not knocking human sacrifice and all that, but, uh, you know, profound spiritual experiences on drugs in, in sort of the yeah. context of, 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 uh, of governmental and, and societal realities. You know, yeah. that doesn't always lead to a pretty picture. Y- you know what I mean? It's not, it's not all, it's not all sort of heaven, you know, heavens, the heavens have unfurled themselves to us. We now see the clear path that we're all one, you know, we're all one being and we're moving forward together in love and harmony. No, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to necessarily play out like that. It can be, yeah, I've, I, it can, it can turn into, I'm God, I'm yeah. the forest, bow before me. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and we definitely saw that with, or at least there's a lot of reports suggesting that was the case with um, psilocybin and psilocin, which are, mm. many people say are sort of, these are the chemicals in mushrooms that psilocybin would be the best natural delivery method for dmt and it's sort of inaccurate simply because there's it doesn't turn into dmt in the body and you don't get dmt's effects but mm-hmm. it's a drug that's very close to dmt and is right. certainly psychedelic in a similar way and that does seem to have been used by uh the aztecs in sort of yeah. the mexico area and there's a long his, uh, historical usage in mexico and in, in the surrounding countries well, you you can just, I mean, you can look at, uh, you know, you can look at ergot fungus and things like that in Salem witch trials to see how 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 south a uh, a drug experience uh, can go. I mean, it's funny, you know, people sort of experience spiritual what they perceive as spiritual realms, and you know, it, fucking humans, man, they almost, you know, they they're so likely to validate their own experiences, right? Like, uh, you know, you, 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 uh, <laughs> you, you think that a, a cataclysm to wipe out society and, uh, and start anew is the best way to cleanse the earth. 
and then you go on sort of a drug experience or a spiritual drug experience and uh lo and behold well you know that's exactly sort of the track that you feel that you've been told you know what i mean it just well, uh whether it's uh historical with there being reports of leaders using it and having horrible visions that resulted yeah. in wars or sacrifice and things like that there's those reports and and even in a modern sense you can point to many people who if they got too into psychedelics and they had very little in the way of other practices um the majority of those people tend to end up going in a in a negative direction with their psychology if they go too far into only psychedelics psychedelics are the answer and they use essentially just too much in a certain egotistical way and it doesn't have positive effects whereas if you listen to certain people who say all these great things about psychedelics you'd imagine that the people that use the most would use them the most would be the sort of most spiritual great leaders of the the world and but they're not so yeah there's something there you definitely have to keep that in mind when you're thinking about the way that things were used um in the past because uh it doesn't mean that a culture or a society was some super spiritual new age like culture because they were using mushrooms or they were using dmt yeah humility you know especially when it comes to any of these experiences um real humility i mean yeah, humans right i i don't know if this is like like my 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 inner jew on this one but just like never forget you're a schmuck you know <laughs> you know what i mean like no no matter how spiritually enlightened no matter how uh you know how you have seen the light and are you 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 you're to some degree or uh, still a schmuck uh, you know afflicted by all the schmuckiness that comes with you being a human schmuck and uh you know and to sort of uh to have these experiences and then and then march off as to you know i've seen the light that that god you know it does seem a little bit um seems a little dangerous to to think you have the answers um yeah. You know, so, uh, so anyway, getting back to dosage, history, no history, history, history. more history, yeah, recent history. Yes, um, yes, yes. So, uh, most of the talk of DMT in the psychedelic community that we're aware of started more in the '60s, with it being one of those drugs that you heard about, not many people had used, and it was generally regarded even by big psychedelic proponents as being way too strong and way too intense to provide hmm. whether it to be a recreational drug it, it was too much in that way and it really couldn't be much of a spiritual drug because again it was too intense and you didn't remember what happened hmm. this is generally what you heard from the harvard team the sort of harvard psychedelic team with leary and alpert and those individuals they certainly talked about DMT, but for the most part, it was um, their emphasis was on other drugs, even yeah. if DMT was the craziest one, because they tended to believe, and it seems to be the case, that craziest or strongest actually isn't the best in this area, um, depending on what you're looking for. So right. uh, there was a lot of talk about it in that way, and it definitely got people interested in the drug, 
moving on from there, uh, a lot of the current popularity came from people like uh, Terrence McKenna, who, again, talked about DMT quite a bit and other drugs, other psychedelics, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And that sort of brought it to the popular culture, especially after these drugs were made illegal, and which is really when the increase in DMT use, you know, began. It wasn't primarily used in the 60s. It's been used more recently. And then you had these, in some ways, groundbreaking studies in New Mexico from Rick Strassman in uh, in the 90s, the early 90s and the mid-90s, actually giving DMT to people and then carefully studying and recording the effects. And that changed the way that people viewed it viewed the drug in a lot of ways because it ended up resulting in uh, a book called DMT, The Spirit Molecule, and then the more recent documentary that you were talking about earlier. And when you're seeing a documentary on DMT as one of the top documentaries on Netflix, then it's bound to change the way that people are are viewing the substance just because people are sitting down and watching that and being amazed or thinking that this isn't, this doesn't sound like drugs in the normal sense so and then even further since then unfortunately you know mckenna passed away but he probably continues to exert a huge influence on drug use from in the case of things like dmt because his videos are incredibly popular on youtube all the talks that people have put up and and then even more recently i think a big part of the current dmt usage that we're we're hearing about comes from Joe Rogan. And just like Ayahuasca, Joe Rogan with his his podcast has exposed countless thousands of people to at least the topic. And of those people, certainly thousands have become interested in using the drug. So there's been... Uh, DMT's history can kind of be marked by these individual proponents of the drug throughout history and it's more recently in the past couple decades that's truly become a a popular psychedelic i should i should mention that in seeing some of the videos or or some of the talks about dmt uh from i I don't know if it was specifically leary i was watching but none of those guys have suggested recreational use for dmt uh when they're talking about it um they they talk about it as profound and affecting yeah. and all that but none of them are into like uh everyone sort of qualifies that with this should not be taken lightly um this should not be taken recreationally this yeah. is a majorly powerful thing um yeah so so anyway um i i, I think that's I, I just want to put that out there that if anybody's listening and they are interested in dmt um you know, again, like with all drugs, uh, in, in you know, in, intention and purpose and and all of it, man. Like, like really see what's going to fit into your life. Understand the legal, uh, you know, situation that anything is in as well, of course, because that is a very real threat and harm um, to to doing anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. You 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 think your fifteen minute. DMT trip is potentially worth, uh, you know, a, a lifelong felony charge. Well, <laughs> that's, it's, uh, it's quite a gamble when it comes to, uh, illicit drugs like that. So, um, 
Yeah, and, and I mean uh, the Joe Rogan thing. Isn't it interesting how how the slightest crack in in curiosity or the slightest crack in normalization, which is you have this, um, you know, I don't know what he is at this point. I know. I know he's been pretty profoundly affecting in my life in terms of diet and exercise and all that other stuff. But, um, you know, look at how humans are so willing to like, you know, check this out. I mean, we're, we're so inclined to investigate, um, you know, uh, yeah. we, we, we like the new experiences and things like that. So, so more people have gotten into it. More people are looking into it. Um, what else did you want to bring up more about history or anything that uh, that you think is important there? No, there's not. There's not too much. You know, just that sort of overview because mm-hmm. it's really just important to understand that DMT has a really long history of use. But then, what we co- we're really associating with DMT now is relatively new, and for that reason especially what we've seen in the past few years with the way that people are talking about and using DMT as sort of this <laughs> anybody and everybody should use it because this is the one that will break you out of your your you know, reality. <laughs> yeah, your reality. Uh, I think that's a dangerous way of looking at the drug. Or And people said it about LSD in the 60s, and that wasn't a good idea either because not everybody should have been taking LSD or psilocybin, or any of those drugs, and it applies to DMT as well. And carefully preparing and listening to the people like Terrence McKenna, who would promote the drug, none of these people, like you said, would ever say to take this lightly, because it's a very intense experience, and it's not one that you can just approach and do on a whim and not have planned out doing it. Unfortunately, just like with salvia, where the people that originally talked about salvia were saying, this is one of the most intense drugs out there, so please use it carefully. Clearly, that did not do anything. That was not on the package that I got, Seth. Yeah, because it... everybody was using it in, the, in what they would consider the wrong way, or at least a, a riskier way. Uh... And now we're seeing that to some extent with DMT, where people are just using it in a nonchalant way. and that increases the chance of, at the very least, not getting anything from the drug if you're just throwing it uh, into your system like that. So just use caution and uh, you know approach it in the way that some of these historical figures would have suggested using it because caution is best. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Drugs are amazing, man. They, they're, they're amazing. They're, uh, they are... Uh helpful they are harmful um you know they're they're amazing keys that can be dropped into the locks of our brains to activate our own existing systems or or uh you know it, it i mean it's incredible when you uh graham hancock talking about um you know on that ted that band ted talk how he believes that um that the answer to uh, that the answer to sort of the, you know, the enlightenment, if you will, is, is through plants and the knowledge inherent in these chemicals and how they interact with human beings. And, 
Um, it's amazing, Seth, that, that, that those messages come to you when you do drugs, isn't it? Or, or psychedelics, I should say, especially, I mean, it's amazing that, you know, that the, exp- I, I mean, imagine this, right? Imagine if psychedelic drugs in general, when you took them, um, you know, they, they made you feel, uh, very negative, right? <laughs> and again, some people have these experiences, and of course. Um, but it, yeah, I, I guess actually I, I sort of answers my own point. It's, uh, th- you know, the idea of, of spiritually awakening or of, of exploring that realm, isn't it amazing that they kind of go there? Um, you know, yeah, I, and I it, it's interesting. It, it's, it's amazing if you want to say that, but it's important that people realize that just because your gut reaction or your initial feeling as a result of a drug or, or any other experience is humans are easily misled and uh, people that have amazing experiences in the presence mm-hmm. uh, as a result of teachings and things like that from people who end up be, being cult leaders, dangerous cult leaders. Yeah, those experiences point. were real. They really did have them, <laughs> but because they, they associated them those experiences so much with some profound spirituality yeah. they ended up in a dangerous situation the same thing can happen with drugs the second that you offload too much of your spirituality onto a drug a person you're headed down the wrong path yeah and and especially when we understand you know again we have that understanding of neurochemistry now and that getting a big blast of dopamine you know if every time i took out the garbage i got a giant blast of dopamine well geez i mean you know i'd be hey meg i take out your garbage right i mean so much of it is this you know uh and of course not only dopamine but this large rewarding chemical flood like you know you have sex right and you get dopamine oxytocin serotonin like it's all like bush and yeah. uh, and then all of a sudden sex is this great thing and whatever well just i mean we're so fucking like sort of slaves to that you know it, it really makes me wonder even when i was watching that movie on you know if there is a giant entity sort of pulling i mean if you were to design humans right or design uh design creatures and then you wanted them to direct them to certain tasks so you make this you know molecule uh dopamine and and you just well here we're gonna reinforce you every time you uh do this certain behavior i mean it really is we just feel like such slaves in a way to our own neurochemistry you know what i mean like yeah yeah, like like the taking out the guard. You can take any kind of crabby behavior, give yourself a, a nice shot of dopamine as a result of it, and and all of a sudden you have this rewarding experience. Um, you know, very odd. Uh, very odd. We we're we're so not we we so don't seem autonomous. Uh, we seem more as like shuttles to deliver the genes or to uh. You know, to 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 bring in the knowledge for the greater spiritual something where we go at some point, or you know, all of that, and it's just like, well, I got a little dopamine, so that felt good, so I'm doing that. You know what I mean? 
it's it's uh you know what we do uh and again i don't mean to simplify everything down to dopamine but we do feel very much uh we feel like uh, a bit like the rat in the uh whether it's rat park or rat cage well you still want your your good feelings right and then you have those good feelings and then you justify them and you say well i had good feelings and therefore it's i'm on the path you know and here it's like all your endogenous stuff sort of firing so um getting into dosage uh you you order dmt or you get your dmt uh uh, do we still have the terrifying prospects of dealing with, uh, you know, uh, like like in D.C., right? The guy who is uh, you get the um, you get your edibles from is Kush God. Am I am I dealing with I have to deal with someone with a shady name on my Tor browser and, and get this stuff. And uh, how what are the odds that I'm going to get real DMT versus, um, you know, any other of the myriad of compounds that somebody can call that or or is it is it more like it's readily available enough and 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 easy enough uh to manufacture that uh you know i mean how do you tell again we're we're back to that horrible horrible conundrum of prohibition where i don't know what the hell i'm taking or uh is that fear is 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 um as pronounced as it is with sort of other chemicals that we've talked about I would recommend just there's some good safety measures with the way that a lot of people are gaining access to DMT, which I do think it's certainly easier to get it online than other than through other routes. And a significant portion of people are are definitely going that that direction because it's pretty easy to have something shipped to you. Mm -hmm. And but when you're doing that, so. On these marketplaces, they have a review system, and that review system is relatively reliable, and you should be paying attention to what other people are saying for the vendor. Further, you should also be paying attention to individual names of vendors that come up pretty often because there are – I spent enough time on these to know that in things like DMT or LSD, there's a few specific people – who are always very reliable. It doesn't, they could change at any moment, but if they've Mm -hmm. been reliable for years now, then it's a good sign that you're probably safe ordering from them and getting what you want. Because with these systems, you have the reviews that, that support somebody's reputation, but you also have the communication method that's used. um, The encryption method that's used. Everybody has their own, key that's used for the encryption so you can also know not only that they have the same username but that if they have that key that is being used for communication it is the same person so the fact that all of those things can be used allows you to order in a pretty safe way and it's not too common Mm. that people are getting an entirely wrong substance uh, as long as they pay attention to those so uh, it uses like a hash a hashtag kind of a locking mechanism to where uh that specific person is associated with that particular uh, so it's almost like a like an uh, uh, yeah like an authentication thing like on a like on a file or whatever that that these guys who are communicating it's like specific to them and and things like that um Okay. Okay. Well, that's, you know, it's interesting to watch even the marketplace, right? In the, in, in sort of the face of prohibition on how 
things play out like in terms of uh, like authentication right and and what's uh what's what's sort of reliable um again united states schedule one drug um penalties uh do we know what the penalties are are they state specific um is it well, they, you know they'd be the same as uh as any other schedule one so they're very high uh generally though it's pretty rare for somebody to get arrested for possession because sure. of the way in which it's being used and the focus that people the authorities have on it however where you would run into trouble is generally having uh if they suspect that you're ex- extracting a large amount from various plants that's when you would run into trouble if you stay away from that it's 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 fairly safe there's some schedule one drugs that simply aren't high on the radar of the dea or yeah. other authorities well and 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 the usa is is uh oops sorry uh the usa is not the only place where this podcast is heard um we have listeners overseas no, and, and things and, and dmt is internationally scheduled as well through the un and as a result okay there's a mandate requiring them to place it in a certain schedule so basically anywhere you go dmt will be illegal the only variation you have with the laws would be with tribal medicine maybe would be yeah basically the way that places like brazil or peru tolerate ayahuasca by allowing it to be used in a legal manner the u.s does the same and some parts of europe do the same with some very specific groups not anybody but very specific groups have essentially received an exemption from that law for ayahuasca and then some countries control the actual uh, ordering and possession of the plants themselves in a different way. In the U.S., you can definitely have all the plants that would be required for extraction or for ayahuasca, but the second you start using them as such, it's illegal. In other places, there's been some restrictions on the plants themselves, even if you weren't planning on using them for anything. So you'll have to go uh, country by country, but DMT itself is illegal basically everywhere. Hmm. What about uh? And, and to kind of keep moving forward, um. But you mentioned dosing. Yeah. Uh, dosing. Uh, yeah. Let's let's get into uh. You know, um. Can you overdose on it? Well, I would say overdose would be is not necessarily dangerous. So yes, you could. Um, for dangerous overdoses, that'd be very rare, and mm. it certainly doesn't seem to ever take place with these routes of administration namely uh, smoking. smoking so you couldn't ingest it, enough through smoking it, it, to where you it's already difficult to get the amount that's required for a breakthrough to go two three times above that would be very difficult so the chances of that ever happening are very low plus there's little to suggest that having a higher dose like that would actually hurt you in any way yeah it would just be the thing to keep in mind as i mean i'll go through the dosing real quick is that a threshold dose so the point at which you're feeling the effects is generally going to be two to five milligrams however some people are very sensitive to dmt so they could have not necessarily at two or five but at say 10 milligrams full breakthrough effects it's not common but it has happened Mm. a common dose what most people are using to get the full effects from the drug is about 20 to 50 milligrams and you're just going to have to see where you fall in that area for your sweet spot for the drug. A strong dose, um, the point at which the effects are pretty much guaranteed to either be a breakthrough or for you to pass out because passing out is 
definitely possible and relatively common with DMT is anything over about 60 or 70 milligrams. Once you get to that point, you're, it's probably unnecessary to ever go that high. So 20 to 50 is where you want to be. Is, um, and, and, you know, when it, when you say two to, when you were talking even two to five, um, you know, it's, it's easy to control dosage when you talk about intravenous use and things, um, you know, smoking, we're talking about 0.5%, um, usually of, of, of sort of like when you ingest a, you know, cigarette or whatever, you're getting like 0.5% of the nicotine, something like that. So, um, so even here through the, through the smoking or vaporization process, is it, is it sort of, you know, you're, I'm wondering how much is getting like broken down or you're, or you're kind of, it, it, it smoking seems like a very tough way to regulate a dose. Yeah. Doesn't I mean, I think what you're talking about though, with, uh, uh, nicotine would be in things like tobacco. And I don't think the 0.5% is okay. So we're, with, I don't think right. it's actually saying that 0.5% of the right. nicotine in the tobacco is gotcha. being used, uh, unless they're, they're dealing with, um, the amount that's that just goes into the air, uh, that's different. But in the case of DMT, uh, no, it's most likely the majority of that dose is getting into your is your lungs. going into okay. Because okay. generally, the way that you'll use it is by vaporizing the entire amount by getting the entire um, chamber, the the whatever you're using to smoke it, right. uh, filled with the vapor itself, and then over a couple hits, taking that. And by the end, there's really nothing left of the DMT, and very little has escaped into the air. So mm. that's it's 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 about right for the milligrams, and it's certainly right for referring to what you put into your pipe to actually smoke. So, mm-hmm. and and so we've we've administered, we've we've gone through, we've gone through sort of the peak experience. Um, what what else do you want to talk about in regards to? kind of in the experience or or beyond dosing at this point um is there anything else you wanted to cover in terms of the the come down experience or of leaving that realm um i see people kind of come out of it on the videos and being like what happened you know how long was i gone and um yeah the most common thing when you're coming down so this is maybe 10 minutes after you took the drug sometimes less sometimes more um but the peak effects are generally only there for a few minutes, like we discussed. Mm. Whenever you're coming down, you'll have a at least a couple-minute period where there's a combination of excitement and elation and wanting to spew out everything that happened, but oh, also yeah. confusion because a lot of people do report the experience feeling like they spent days or weeks or years, mainly days or weeks, in whatever realm they were in. So... For that reason, it's a very hectic couple minutes when you're coming down. And like I said before, it's also why having something to record yourself can be useful. Mm. And after that acute period, when you're effectively down to baseline, there will be a period of about an hour where you have uh, a significant mood lift. So you're you're still going to have euphoria for quite a while after using the drug. And some people report lasting euphoric or mainly anti-anxiety or antidepressant effects that last for a couple days beyond mm. DMT. But especially for that first hour, you're, you're still going to have effects. And for about 
the first 30 minutes or so, you will also maybe have some visual changes if you close your eyes, but open eye, everything should look normal. Mm. So that's kind of like the residual serotonergic kind of, you know, hanging on effect in a way. You've just sort of gave your brain this sort of flooding experience. And yeah. uh, and now you sort of have these residuals, and you're you wanting to share, and you're. Uh, what about in terms of a uh, a sort of rebound effect? Do you ever get um, you know, you it's funny you talked about about you know how it how it's fitting well into serotonergic system. You've also mentioned before on the podcast about MDMA and uh, and this how it has a super high binding affinity and is as well. Um, MDMA people report a, a, uh, or not everybody, but I mean, certainly some people report a real kind of, uh, you know, a depression, um, you know, after, uh, again, different mechanism of action. Um, is MDMA sort of squeezing a bunch of serotonin in your brain and sort of depleting, uh, the, your, your little vesicles there that hold the serotonin or is DMT different in that it's, uh, it's not, it's more mimicking serotonin than depleting it. Yeah. Do pe- do people experience that, uh, that sort of crash on DMT? Yeah. We, we have to understand why a crash or a rebound effect would take place in the case of MDMA and similar drugs. It's because you've effectively depleted serotonin and as a result you're dealing with the mood and the the feelings that somebody would have if they had a chronically low serotonin and for that reason you might spend you know a couple days feeling down uh and especially a little bit of time feeling really down it's also the same reason why some people swear by using serotonin precursors to try and increase that supply again Mm. to come back faster and avoid that really harsh come down that many users report in the case of other drugs say a lot of anti-anxiety drugs you'll have a rebound say you know xanax or something um, a rebound because you're effectively dealing with withdrawal but since dmt doesn't work like mdma in releasing a chemical and Mm -hmm. it doesn't work like most drugs in causing tolerance or withdrawal any of the positive effects that you get generally don't have a corresponding negative that you deal with. So mm-hmm. that's a positive. For so, with, so with DMT and just looking at the, 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 the physiological effects, so it would make sense to say that if you were to continuously expose yourself to something like DMT, you're, you're, you would probably grow an increased number of receptor sites um to to sort of accommodate the increased amount and and this would only be as if again continuously used it and whatever your brain w- would probably grow more serotonin receptors therefore you no don't you don't think that so? would happen uh, generally you only see upregulation with antagonists because it's trying the brain has mechanisms mechanisms to effectively maintain homeostasis right with agonists that would be down regulation but because dmt is short acting and it's also a endogenous compound you don't really see Uh, any of that happening but you definitely wouldn't see the reverse i I don't think there's any reason to believe that you would see an upregulation of serotonin well i was 
I was looking at it in the same context of like, for example, like Prilosec, right? Uh, you, you know, we, you know, it suppresses stomach acids. Uh, but what happens is your stomach actually winds up growing more receptor sites. Uh, yeah. yeah so, 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 so it doesn't have, right. So it sort of offsets that anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, it, but that, that would be an example of, of trying to maintain homeostasis because there was some right. uh, significant shift. So increasing the numbers of, of receptors, just like if you had an antagonist, um, there's actually a, there's some, there's some substances for certain receptor systems that can reduce your tolerance to commonly used drugs, for example, because they upregulate that system and skip over the period of withdrawal faster. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, it, you know, it can have positive effects. But in the case of DMT, that's pretty unlikely. And, and yeah. there's no reason why an agonist would ever be doing that to serotonin receptors. Yeah, very, very interesting. So so what else, Seth, as, as we've, we've come through our history, our dose, our effect, I feel like we're sitting there, we want to talk each other's ears off about you know if what we do recall or we're, we're kind of going back yeah. over our tape recorder what's our what's our safe and sound uh ritual uh is, is there anything we want to be doing um as we're we're sort of coming off the experience really not much because even the psychological effects are tend to be fairly minimal in terms of for a long period of time destabilizing somebody unlike something like lsd which could kind yeah. of throw you off balance for a while and it's it's important with those drugs to have an integration period to ground yourself again dmt that's that's really less so despite being really intense there's seems to be very little effect outside of just blowing your mind um very little effect on your psychological state for any lengthy period of time, at least. Mm. So for that reason, integration or, or a ritual beyond personal preference preference is not um, entirely necessary. There was, there are, uh, there's one thing we didn't cover though, yeah. and that's combinations of drugs in mm -hmm. the case of DMT. Cause mm -hmm. a lot of people uh, end up using dmt with something like marijuana because it makes it a little bit easier to uh heat up because you have it's a readily available for a lot of drug users plant matter mm -hmm. that you're fine using and smoking the problem with that is if it's already difficult to remember the experience marijuana is going to make that even more difficult to remember on top of that the there tends to be in some ways a dulling or alteration of the experience by marijuana the only the only other chemicals people tend to combine dmt with is sometimes using dmt to potentiate or when they're in the middle of a psychedelic experience that is fine it probably won't have a negative effect on the experience but it's an example of a case where boosting the drugs effects even higher than they already are is really unnecessary Mm -hmm. So unless you are just kind of experimenting and doing stuff, there, there's no inherent reason why that's going to be a a, a great idea or something that'd be recommended. Um, but especially marijuana, you should probably avoid combining DMT with. 
This is considered one of the most powerful psychedelic experiences you can have, if not the most powerful? Um, if you call salvia a psychedelic like I do, I would say in some cases salvia is more intense. And, and some people would also say 5-MeO-DMT, which we'll have to mm -hmm. talk about at some point later on another date, uh, can also be more intense. It mm -hmm. really depends on how you view some of these things and, and what you're taking from them. DMT is certainly one of the most intense drugs out there. The only reason I'd say salvia can be more intense is because having the experience like some people do of breaking through on salvia and having not only entering freestanding realities, but entering realities that are human-like and they inhabit the mind and body of another person and go through their daily life for a period of time that is it's not in some ways as insane as dmt or as abnormal as dmt but having the experience of living somebody else's life which has been readily reported with salvia uh is bound to have a much different or greater effect on your psychology and in that way, it could be viewed as more intense. So it really depends on what you're looking for and how you you take the experience. DMT is definitely up there in the top, you know, five or ten drugs, though. Mm. And and also uh, DMT, when it's taken, is typically uh, it sounds like it's a one person at a time drug as well. It's not like a group of people. It's a, again, you'd have your babysitter, you'd yeah. have. Um, it, 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 so so it's kind of you, the focus is on you the focus is taking care of you you're coming through the experience and then maybe on to the next person sort of a thing yeah that's that's really how it would be seen another thing which has become more common recently is um a substance or a combination of substances called changa and i'm not sure if you've heard of this but uh changa is commonly seen it's, it popped up in some countries in smoke shops and things like that, but for the most part, it's sold online or people make it themselves. And they use extracted pure DMT in combination with plant matter. But what they do is they use plants, mainly uh, Banisteriopsis copy, which is the MAOI plant from ayahuasca. So they combine these substances to, one, make it easier to use because you're combining it with plant matter and that allows you to use DMT a little bit easier, but also you can extend and maybe potentiate the effects of DMT by combining those substances in that way. So Changa preparations have become common in the, in the recent past. Is that something that's available around those same channels that you mentioned in terms of reliability? Yeah, definitely you'll find Changa on, on those markets as well. Okay, so we're not talking about uh again, I get all nervous when I think about the the strange and uh you know, I get nervous about all this stuff, but especially the compounds that are uh, you know, being manufactured overseas that are, you know, they'll they'll change up a molecule and say, "Here, try this." And uh yeah, yeah I, no, Changa, I if if it's actually Changa will be just DMT and a few other um active or or neutral plants. Uh, and some people find that it potentiates the, the experience. At the very least, it tends to 
extend the experience and sometimes make it a little bit more ayahuasca-like, so a little less confusing, a little less intense in certain ways because it's extended. So some people like that uh, much like they – because they're still able to get the full or many of the same DMT effects but in this in this more controlled manner. So so people are are sort of mo- are are working with DMT and making these compounds that uh you know, make it a little bit more usable, palatable, um things like that. Um uh, is there anything else around um around that that you want to m- mention in terms of um I'm just trying to think that that's interesting. That's sort of a a, a new a new space to go into in terms of, yeah. uh, but yeah, but, but again, I, I, I always get freaked out in regards to you're combining it with what, but, um, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I can, I can see the, the, the 20 websites popping up for Changa and, you know, try this now and, oh God, you know, who knows? Um, but anyway, uh, we, we, we have to sort of leave it up to the user to, to to move through their world as best they can with the knowledge yeah. that um yeah so so I always get uh kind of concerned um Seth uh it, where else uh do we want is there anything we want to cover before we we sort of point people in the areas of uh of more knowledge and things like that anything else you wanted to cover on DMT well it um there were a few topics I had written down if you were interested. These tend yeah, to deal go with ahead. using DMT, but DMT, the things that people have you know widely said may be the case with the drug and why it's in the body and things like that. So Please, please. Th- these would be um, things like you generally – the most common thing that you hear nowadays is DMT is somehow connected to sleep or it's connected to death because – there are either uh, common experiences between those things or people are trying to find in a scientific manner a way to explain dreams because dreams are in some ways a phenomena that that certainly doesn't have a complete explanation at this point. So if you could explain it by saying a chemical increases in your brain when you enter REM sleep, well, that'd be great. It would explain it and it would also in some ways justify using the drug while you're awake because it'd be like, it would be a a dream-like experience. The thing with this is, is one, even if, we don't know if it is yet, but even if DMT is produced and released by the pineal gland, that doesn't mean that it's actually affecting dreams or the reason that dreams exist. And when you ask people about the DMT experience, they don't tend to say that it's, that it's like a dream. You hear that with people use salvia salvia people say is like a dream but dmt not so much so again there's not even as many similarities there between dreams and dmt and from you know everything that you hear about the dmt experience i'm not aware of too many people who tend to have dreams that are like that i guess there would be this idea that if you increased it slightly it wouldn't produce these massive hallucinations but it would put you in a different state of mind, a more meditative or creative state of mind. And maybe that's the case. And I can see, you know, first you'd have to show that it is produced by the pineal or another spot that's affected by sleep. And then you have to show uh, it's affecting dreams. And because that's difficult, definitely seems difficult to say it's connected to 
death, which is what so many people say. Right, um, and birth for that matter. They're, they're saying this is the case, telling people it's the case before it's been shown by anybody. And even Joe Rogan and people like that are guilty of this because it, it certainly hasn't been. I mean, even even Rick Strassman is, is guilty of this in some ways because he frames it as a hypothesis, hypothesis but he's writing books really kind of based around this idea. And, and it's not a criticism of him, but uh, because he's done such great great work but again it's an example of it's very easy when you're dealing with a psychedelic to especially one that's in the body to create many fanciful things that may or may not be true and would require way more research than has been done to suggest that they are true so and that's an important point when when dealing with this area and it's attractive, right? Whenever we talk about, it's funny, you know. Uh, you, you, I, I was just thinking of why? Why is it that you know? Why does that become attractive? Well, when when we explore areas that we're not really familiar with, whether it be, you know, oh, entering the dream state. Well, you know, people sort of understand sleep and dreaming, but not not entirely. You know, I mean, it's. It's mysterious, and we talk about death and the passage to death, and uh, that's mysterious, and the passage of from being unborn to born, and you know that experience. So yeah, you can, and, 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 yeah, and intelligent people have ventured in this into this area for quite a long time, and you saw that with books like um, the psychedelic experience with people from the '60s, people like Leary and and. Uh, other individuals who were in the science area um, connecting things like LSD to, in that case, the Bardo uh, experience in Tibetan Buddhism after death. So that's a huge jump to make with a drug. And with DMT, it's also a huge jump. So we shouldn't be, you know, it's fine to speculate and to put theories out there. But I don't think it's really useful to say this is the case when we don't know that it's true. It's 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 not only I think is it not useful, but it's actually it, it really I can see why you have the concerns about it, especially because it's very easy. Uh, it's very attractive to think of it in those terms, right? The yeah. the gateway, the passage, the end, the antenna to the gods, all of that is very attractive and. Um, you know, attraction doesn't do you many favors in science. It really doesn't. Um, yes, these things are mysterious, but only because we don't understand them. And, uh, just because we don't understand them does not inherently make them mystical. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's unfortunate because I can picture many experiments being done, say with dreams, which would be less controversial or or pose less issues than, than death, uh, with taking, you know, waking somebody up, just like when they were trying to determine that dreams actually exist, they were doing experiments based around waking people up the second that they realize that they're in the middle of a dream and trying to figure out what they're experiencing at that time in their sleep. Why not do the same thing with when people are sleeping, you know that they're dreaming, why not wake them up in the middle of that and take a urine sample or take a blood sample very fast and see is there DMT above where it normally is? Unfortunately, even if it came back negative, you'd have people who are still like, well, yeah, but maybe it just goes away really fast. <laughs> you know, so for that reason, it's so difficult in this area to to deal with certain people who want to put so many things before any form of evidence. 
uh, and, and will even, you know, act uh, against the evidence that exists. So, you know, it's just something to put out there because it is something if you look up DMT and you hear things like the spirit molecule, a lot of things are connected to that, which don't have any support. So you should you should apo- approach this with a, a, a skeptical head. But it's fine to be enthusiastic. I think DMT is, is a very fascinating drug, but I certainly would not say uh, we know things that we don't actually know yet. So and, that sort of is uh, my little rant on that. Yeah, issue. and, and w- well, one of the things, I mean, even look at the term, right? The spirit molecule. <laughs> That's... Yeah, you, you've encompassed you've <laughs> uh, spirituality in, in you know, religion even. Uh, in a drug well maybe but that's a huge claim to make before there's any real evidence to support it yeah and and we what do we know i mean we know we have a very simple looking molecule that is sort of a uh that that you can make a lot of other things from that is created in the body and that fits well into certain receptor sites that's what we know um, we we don't know if we're unlocking keys to other dimensions. We don't know if we're, you know, we don't know any of that. We know that there's this a what 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 seems to be, and I'd love to get some some folks with uh with who have had the negative experiences as well. You know, that's one thing we should also do on here, man. Is we should like I'm going to track down some people who really hate these things. You know what I mean? Yeah, who ha- it's very important for balance. It's very oh. easy to. To hear all about the benefits and then never address the negatives. Yeah, I mean, and and gosh knows. I mean, people have negative psychedelic experiences. That's very true. Um, that's I again. That's I always hated the salvia thing, man. When they're uh, when they're on there and people are falling down and people touch. I just I just it it just feels so chaotic and so uncomfortable to me to even watch that. Um, but at the yeah, same time, that was a strange phenomenon, and it, it certainly resulted in negative things for the entire community with law changes when you're suddenly putting everything on YouTube and having millions of views. I mean, it's a weird direction for a drug to take. Well, it's because, and people do that shit, you know, they're all laughing and giggling because they're uncomfortable, dude. You know, you're, you're seeing someone sort of in a chaotic state or whatever, and it's, and and what do and, and you know what do kids do and I, and I use the word kids because it's a very immature emotionally immature way of dealing with someone in that state. I mean, usually someone is in a in a uh, disassociative or or sort of erratic state. The natural response for any other organisms around that you you can look you you want to know what looks natural. Look at your fucking dog and how your dog is looking at you or your cat or your pets who. Who don't really have these uh, strong relationships to uh, to to understanding these things? Look at how they're looking at you, and 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 sort of are they feeling comfortable or 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 normal or what? What are they? Uh, you know, how are they responding to you? Yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, so so getting back to our so essentially humans, when when seeing another human in that state, typically are going to be confused. You can look at even the more um, folks who are very anti drug. You can I I mean, their response is very honest in in regards to, hey, I'm seeing a person like, you know, I I was watching like, uh, you know, the video, the guy classic footage of a guy on LSD and he's spinning or just making sort of unusual motions. 
and they're showing that to the public on on the you know on TV and things because uh, it, it, for at least that the purpose of that was to express how uh, you know they wanted people to feel uncomfortable. Right. They wanted yeah. people to feel sort of out there, you know, uh, hey, this is this is weird, unusual behavior. Um, so. So, yeah. Anyway, I I, I, ne I never you know, someone's having, uh, you know, uh, a negative experience or, or whatever the experience is on these things and other people making fun or la it just uh, it just fucking creeps me out. So, um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, what else, Seth? Any, any? Yeah, uh, there's only one last yeah, go, thing. Before go ahead. Go ahead. I just, yeah, that? I'm not going to let you leave anything out of here. I'm. We'll yeah. make sure we get everything. So go for and it. And this was uh, basically my own theory, which I had sent over to Strassman, and, and I think we went back and forth a couple times. It was a year, year and a half ago, and a theory for really two things. One, to if DMT has an effect on things like dreams, how it would do so. And then two, why there's this strange thing that's reported by people who take, um, normally it's Syrian rue, uh, Peganum harmala seeds by themselves, but experience things like visual changes, altered thoughts, which they describe as DMT like. And this is odd because these drugs or that plant doesn't contain DMT. It only contains MAOI substances. And as a result, I was speculating that um, in that case, you're allowing DMT, whatever levels exist in the body, to become active by inhibiting the enzyme. This could also explain why some people have effects from things like, uh, like Banisteriopsis copy uh ayahuasca like effects without any dmt element involved uh i think it's 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 possible the other thing that also i think is, is that went into this theory is there's this sub this chemical in the human brain which was discovered more recently or talked about more recently um called penolin or pinolin whatever it is uh which is produced during the metabolism of melatonin, uh, melatonin in the pineal gland. This drug or this substance is a natural MAOA inhibitor, which means that if it's being produced, like some people say the pineal gland is producing DMT to coincide with sleep, well, the fact that this substance, which inhibits the enzyme that breaks down DMT, is being produced at the same time, which has been confirmed, that would really suggest that there might be a connection between DMT and dreams, at the very least. So this was just a, a theory. It's, it's not, uh, I'm sure there might be some issues with it, but the fact that you have all in the same area of the brain, most likely DMT being produced and melatonin, which involve, which is connected to sleep, and a substance that would prevent DMT from being broken down is all quite fascinating because there's people in this field who already say that oh a good example is uh in the case of the uh changa, a lot of people were wondering, well, why is this even working? Because any amount of MAOIs in some small bit of plant matter has got to be, you know, not enough to actually affect DMT. 
the idea that was then put forth to counter that was, well, it's going right to the brain. So if it could just for a period of time inhibit the enzyme specifically in the brain, well, then that doesn't require nearly as much. So if DMT and uh, pinolin or pinoline or anything, whatever you want to call it, is working locally in the brain, well, it certainly suggests that for short 30-minute periods of REM sleep, you could have activated DMT having some effect. And who knows if this is the case, but I do think it's interesting that you have this whole system that isn't even explained entirely, which we know also exists. Like, why is there, DM why is there DMT? And why is uh, this other MAOI in the brain naturally? So just a, a little theory of mine. I wonder. Um, I wonder if there's a relationship as well to to sort of uh, you know mental, psychological or or emotional conditions. Yeah. Um, you know, all of all of that when you look at sort of the idea of a of a grip, if you will, on reality. Yeah, and then people were speculating that DMT might be a um, endogenous chemical that's meant to. We already know it has sort of anti-inflammatory or immune modulating effects, but on the psychological level, perhaps antidepressant or anti-anxiety effects in small doses. And that might be the case. And, and it's just a very interesting little set of chemicals, all of which are in the brain. So uh, <laughs> more research is needed. As as is all of this. I mean, every yeah. time we talk about these things, and, and especially the psychedelics, I mean, it's a new it's a new age, right? I mean, we're just now getting the the types of of and not even. I mean, God, it's still Schedule One. I can only imagine what it's like to do research on these things. But um, but just now getting some of the research. I mean, it really is it really is insufficient. I mean, you you can't really. You, you look at other compounds that are studied. I mean, look at methadone, right? I mean, Jesus, yeah. it's like the most researched compound in the world. And, you know, I mean, they, they pound the shit out of that stuff in every possible way to look at it and, and the effects. And uh, and uh, especially something like a psychedelic, I mean, which needs, it seems even more kind of more, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to use the word creativity in science, but you really got to fucking look from a lot of different I think ways and 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 just uh, I mean it's profound uh, and, and psychedelics have never had a place in in research. I mean in regards to sort of the conventional Western model. I mean it's you know you you look at Western thought and uh, and psychedelics are sort of right out. I mean they have you know uh, spirituality will nix that. Um, you know change of consciousness uh, nix that. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's like drugs, drugs bad, uh, I'm but sure. boy, you know, changing reality. Well, that's just fucking insane. Right. I mean, that's sure sort you of would, uh, agree with me that even if you had drugs that are illegal, there should have never been a schedule one classification. There should have never been a strong restriction on research yeah. of all. Things. I love when you say why that. Would you, why would you ever make it so that it takes years of effort? And even then you might not be able to get permission that's an absurd system. You're dealing with scientists and doctors. I don't care if it's meth, it's heroin. Why would you ever make it so that you can't study a drug? It's a very silly thing to do. 
my big my biggest thing on decriminalization or legal or it's not even decriminalization but legalization is uh what does prohibition do but essentially we removed our pharmacists doctors and and every other scientific uh you know professional from the uh from the from the from the drug control regime and essentially said here drug dealers you guys go do it um yeah. you know uh, we 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 literally took the took opiate we took heroin out of the pharmacy and threw it onto the freaking street yeah. um <laughs> yeah and now we have the uh the wonderful setup um uh, we have now so Anyway, man, that's uh, that's all our time. We gave this one the uh, the full the full complement of three hours, and I think it deserves it. Um, this it's is an a important one. It's an important one. It's it's sort of almost one of the fundamentals. I think it's yeah. it's uh, it's just amazing uh, how how this is produced in the body. How it's this simple little form. How we see this, and we see this in plants, uh, DMTs, and plants as well. Um, yeah, all all living animals. things. I mean, yeah, it's just just amazing. And uh, and then to sort of cycle it back with the experiences that it does produce, being so profound, and and uh, it's just amazing. So anyway, man. Uh, next week, uh, we'll work. Uh, next week, we have uh, a gentleman coming on who's going to talk about. Uh, their experience in using some of these things. Um, like I said, they're also uh, wanting to be, uh, I'm not sure if they're in school right now, or I think they're maybe getting into, looking at getting into a master's program for, um, for uh, you know, for neuropharm or, or psychopharmacology. Um, but anyway, we'll start getting into more of the actual experiences next week. Um, what is, uh, where can people find you, Seth? What's your uh, best way to follow up? The best place would be on YouTube, which is where I do a lot of drug education content, and that's The Drug Classroom. You can also find me on Twitter at Seth A. Fitzgerald. And more recently, I created a Patreon, which if you guys don't know, is, is basically a way to fund or donate to various things. And I created one for The Drug Classroom, so if you happen to go to the YouTube channel and like the content, then it'd be great if you then followed through to the Patreon and supported there as well. Uh, if not, it really doesn't matter, but uh, basically the YouTube channel is, is the thing to support if you can. I love, I actually will be uh, going on there myself, Seth, and supporting you. I've, I'm a huge fan and, uh, and really always appreciate your knowledge. Um, you can I'm find at least 5,000 from you. Yeah. Per month. Oh, of what? <laughs> Well, you know, advocacy doesn't pay that well. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, find me at uh, theaddictivepodcast.com. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter, A-D-D-I-C-T-I-S-T. Uh, still looking for new folks to come on the podcast and uh, and all that good stuff and see what direction we take next in our own uh, our own enlightenment uh, and experience here. Um, but uh, Seth, as always, thank you very much for a, a comprehensive uh, presentation of DMT. And I look forward to catching up with you uh, next week and we can start talking to some other folks here about these things. So thank you again. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. 
Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.